Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and I'm very happy that you decided to join me for the 65, 65, 65th episode of the show, and to once again banish another fantastic games industry member to a deserted place within the Final Games realm. Joining me this week is a guest who got his start in the games industry working in the media side of the industry back in the 90s, working as an editor for the incredibly popular at the time publication, Electronic Gaming Monthly. My guest was reviewing, previewing, and covering events for the magazine whilst also studying and brushing up on his Japanese language skills. In doing so, my guest then took the step I know all about now and moved to Japan. And it's here where he decided to switch sides from the media side of the industry to a more dev-focused side, or to be more specific, the localization side of the industry. In 2005, he and his colleague Hiroko formed a localization studio based in Shibuya, Tokyo, the place we're actually recording in right now, the incredibly popular A4, aptly named after the final level of Super Mario Bros. It's here where for 12 years, he and his team have been working to localize some of your favorite Japanese games into English, or vice versa. Having worked on well over 100 titles, including series such as Monster Hunter, Fire Emblem, Dragon Quest, Star Ocean, Castlevania, and even games such as Shovel Knight and the upcoming Undertale release on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. Although my guest is known for his studio's incredible work on writing scripts and localizing games, you might actually know them for an entirely different reason. In fact, it's probably because of a certain video game podcast that airs every two weeks on Friday called 8-4 Play, a podcast about Japan and games and Japanese games. It was through 8-4 many, many years ago that I first discovered my guest and his team, and I'm incredibly excited to say that joining me this week is co-founder of 8-4 and one host of my favorite podcast, Mr. John Riccardi. Hello, John. Hey, Liam. Thanks for having me on your show. Hey, dude. Thanks so much for joining me. And also, thank you so much for joining me in your office. In person. We are here. This is the first time face I, to face. I've mano ever recorded. I mean, I've done like video chats on Skype and stuff before, and I've met people who've been on the show, but I've never actually done a one-on-one interview around a microphone pressure's on on an office i know it seems weird like you're looking at me in the (laughs) eyes and i'm getting slightly nervous but every other time it's always the voice um but yeah we are recording this episode of final games inside of eight four towers the glorious place we're in the south tower at the moment the south tower is this the south tower this is where the podcast is recorded we are we're at the yeah we're at the eight four podcast we can see all the podcasting equipment you have for that we're not using that today we're using (laughs) my shitty setup so (laughs) it's fine but john thank you so much for joining me today of course man sorry i've been putting it off for so long i've been i've been you know really eager to do it it's just been one of those uh i guess it's been like almost a year since you first yeah, approached at yeah. least but uh it's just been busy yeah but we're on a summer quote-unquote summer break right now in japan yeah, yeah we uh, are having our obon holidays right now right where everyone is kind of on vacation in the game industry sort of uh hibernation for a week so it's a good time to sneak away and do this and john is totally lying because he says we're all on vacation but john <laughs> has been working incredibly hard because what is it tomorrow uh is this coming out today if this is coming out yeah. today then yes tomorrow uh undertale comes out on ps4 and vita and and you say john but it's not just me we've all all of us yeah. here have been kind of going nuts on this project for a while now but uh it's finally out tomorrow in uh in europe and north america and then wednesday in japan and so yeah. we're literally working down to the wire on some last minute <laughs> stuff just like with the launch trailer and things like that yeah but, absolutely um, but yeah, so even though it's technically vacation week for most of Japan, we're still uh, picking away at little things here and there. Working super hard, and it's super nice to be a terrible pest and ask you to do this for two hours or so while you're working extremely hard. So no, I do no, apologize I'm excited. I mean, I've been yeah, I've been looking forward to it for a while. So but that's for a, me. but that's a good chance to sort of talk then about you and games and how you sort of got into this crazy industry, but not. In the beginning, you did something entirely different to what you do now Mm -hmm. in the beginning, which is working in the games media. 
Yeah. So that's a long time ago now as well. I got my first job in games at, well, my first like full-time job. I was doing, um, actually, you know, before joining the media, I worked, uh, so I've been a game fan all my life, just to go all the way back to like five years old. Uh, <laughs> just, a, and, just the genesis. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm not going to give you the like year by year breakdown, but like basically when, uh, when I was, you know, like a teenager, I basically worked at like the EB at my mall and I worked at a like import game shop in Long Island because I grew up in Staten Island so I would drive like an hour a day back and forth to get to this shop in Long Island and work at this import shop um and because you know I'd always love games and uh I did a little bit of freelance I actually my my first like published thing was for GamePro magazine a lot of people don't know that it's just one review I did I reviewed Shining Force CD for GamePro in like (laughs) 1995 I think it was um and then I went how old were you then I was 19 okay so I guess, pretty young. 20 something yeah i pretty wasn't young. yeah i just when i worked on it i was 19 yeah okay and uh and then i went to uh college like just lo- city college in new york i didn't go to any place fancy um, yeah i just i wasn't sure what i wanted to do with my life and then during that time i hooked up with a site called intelligent gamer online which you probably have never heard of I'm i guessing. have no idea no okay so back in the day this was a very like it was a very uh it was a very well-respected sort of, I guess you'd call it a fan site at the time. That term didn't really exist. But um, it was a, site, a video game coverage site and uh, run by a guy named Jer Horowitz and a couple of other uh, industry dudes. Uh, well, they're industry dudes now. They weren't there. It's kind of a fan-based thing. And they actually got picked up by Sendai, the company that owns EGM. Oh, okay. And Sendai bought them and turned it into like a print magazine. Yeah. And at that time, um, they asked me to come in for an interview and offered me a job. And so even though I got a job at Sendai, I actually wasn't working at EGM at first. Okay. I was working at that magazine called Intelligent Gamer. Um, but that only lasted a few months. Um, it was, I mean, there was some other stuff going on at the time. Right after, uh, Sendai got bought by Ziff Davis. Yeah. Big, huge publisher. Yeah. Um, and so we went from being this like tiny little company to like part of a corporation or whatever. And um, after like a year or so, I ended up basically at EGM. And yeah. I think that's where most people first at least heard of me anyway, because EGM had a really big user base. I think we had like, at peak, we were at like 600,000 uh, uh, circulation or something like that. That's incredible for like magazines. Yeah, it was awesome. I, mean, I think we, like back then it was like, <coughs> just like Nintendo Power and like EGM. And and there was others too. I mean, there was game, I was actually personally a fan of GameFan, um, Game which yeah. was, I guess, technically our competitor at the time. But, mm. um, you know, a couple of the guys who worked for GameFan at the time actually do freelance work for me now. I like them so much. Um, and, it all comes uh, full circle. Yeah, I know. It all goes full circle. And, uh, and yeah, so that was... Um, that was like in the late '90s. That was like from like '96 to like maybe 2000. Okay, so so during the period of like the N64 and the PlayStation, the the big switch to the 3D era was kind of yeah. That, that was the old domineering area. One of the first articles I ever wrote was like a preview, I think, of like Final Fantasy VII for EGM. That is, um, and uh, you know, I was there during like that sort of golden era. Like 1998 was this sort of like. I think maybe until 2017, maybe, like, the biggest year for games. Like, that was the year that Metal Gear Solid came out, Ocarina of Time, like, all these amazing <laughs> games. And I got to, like, review all that stuff for EGM. So that was, like... Because you, you know, were even doing, like, previews of, like, Ocarina of Time before that, right? Yeah, I played the first, like, playable version ever at the Space World show. So, you know, one of the things I did at Ziff slash EGM was, like, I was one of their guys who would cover Japan. Yeah. Uh, they would send me out to, like japan maybe twice a year uh, because they knew like i loved import games and yeah. they knew i had like a big I, I had a lot of knowledge about that stuff and so they would send me out to their the japanese trade shows um back then tgs was twice a year 
twice EA. Yeah, there was a spring TGS too. Wow, was and, it good? Uh, uh, not really. That's probably why it doesn't exist anymore. It's a bad time. Like March was not really a time to be revealing like new big new titles and stuff. And so, um, I would come out to Japan for that. Uh, you know, because of EGM and uh, and cover Japan stuff. And and so that's kind of like how I got sort of put into the position of being like the Japan guy. Yeah. Um, at the time. So then, going on from that, then being the Japan guy, going to Japan, when did the learning Japanese and thinking about, hey, maybe I want to live here, when did that all start forming um, together, or was that always the plan? Well, you know, you mentioned studying Japanese and stuff, so I didn't study that much Japanese before I came here. I did like teach myself. Uh, I was a big Dragon Quest fan, yeah. uh, as you know. I am a big Dragon Quest fan, and like at the in the nineties, um, after Dragon Warrior Four hit the U.S., like Five never came out. It yeah. was supposed to come out on Super Nintendo, it never did, and I like had to play it. I was super into the series back then, even, and so I decided to import it. I had some experience with import games already at the time, so I imported the game and I bought a dictionary, and I like literally taped i ripped out the katakana and hiragana charts and like taped them to the desk in front of me so they were in front of me all the time while i was playing <laughs> and i had them in front of me playing dragon quest and i've tweeted about this before i like literally took yeah. like dozens of pages of notes I've just like notes, writing yeah. down the japanese i sort of like forced myself to learn japanese but not in the proper way like because i taught myself because yeah. if if you're familiar with Japanese at all, you know there's like stroke order and things like that. Yep. All that was all out that the was window. Going, I was just like yeah. basically looking at the pictures and like copying them. Yeah. That's essentially to learn oh, how to I do, write. It doesn't matter if I start like from <laughs> right to left. No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I only learned that years later when I actually decided to learn properly that and I Japanese had to like relearn could, it all basically. <laughs> they couldn't read your handwriting. Well, the teacher, no, no. They could totally read it, but it was just like, but you could tell that it was not doing the stroke order yeah. properly. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> but I used that as a, uh, so I taught myself kind of at a very young age and yeah. I was like super kind of fluent in that really easy aspect but but that was it i didn't like, actually teach like conversational japanese or kanji or any of that stuff I so didn't i can sort of years. understand that to an extent like be, having lived in japan for a while my japanese language skills is still terrible but like being able to read kana extremely well yeah was it a send, like a kind of situation where you can read like a whole sentence pretty fast Mm-hmm. But you're like, I've got no idea what four of those words were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically what I would do, you could see like in those old notes that I had, like I would I would write above the kana like what it actually, like I'd write it out in English. So like if it said like, you know, uh, I don't know, if it said Liam or whatever, I would write like, you know, R-I-A-M-U above the character so I know what they mean. And okay, that's how right. I got to remember them. But with the kanji, I didn't know that. So the kanji, I just like put like a question mark above <laughs> it or whatever. So yeah, you'd be able to like... <coughs> there was like no furigana or anything back then either. Not really, no. And it was funny because you'd be able to play through games. I mean, like a game like Dragon Quest V, I had already been familiar enough with the series that yeah. I could like take my past knowledge and make my way through the game just by knowing like the item names and the location names and like the really basic stuff. But of course, I didn't get the full yeah. depth of the story. Um, that sort of... I guess similar to having worked on like Monster Hunter stuff that carries over from other games that makes it w- its way through and you kind of like, oh, I recognize right. that one. It's enough to like sort of trudge through like a dope yeah. and like make your way to the end, but not really get the full experience. But even so, like when you're a kid and your imagination is like in control of everything, it's still the most magical experience yeah. ever because you're just like, this is the most amazing game ever. I don't even know what's going on, but like I kind of know what's going on. Like this is happening here, and I I saw that person get killed, and blah blah blah. So like it was really fun. Awesome. So then talking about now, you have lived in Japan since the middle of the two thousands, and you're two thousand since wow, yeah. since two thousand. So yeah. right at the 
end of that sort of period of working at EGM then and stuff. Yeah. Were you still doing media stuff when you moved to Japan? Or? I was. I was doing like uh, freelance stuff. Like I actually freelanced as EGM's international editor for a few years. Okay. And I was the like the quote unquote Japan guy for the uh, Nintendo official magazine UK. Yeah. Uh, Big in Japan. That's right. That's I remember right. that. Yeah. And uh, and some other stuff here and there. So yeah, I was doing a bunch of freelance. So what made you want to move to Japan then? Like was it just uh, I'm gonna I'm traveling four times a year to this country. It's really nice. Might as well just sit my ass there. How like in depth on this the stuff do you go on this podcast? Like I don't <laughs> want to bore people, but I could tell you like the, like basically you know, I'll try to keep it short. But like you know the the short version, believe it or not, is that um, when I was working at Ziff, I basically told was telling my boss nonstop I want to go I want to be if I'm gonna be the Japan guy I want to be in Japan. Like mm. move me there. Let me be your international guy. Because when I grew up, like my favorite stuff in like EGM and GamePro and all those magazines was like the Japan coverage. It was okay. always like that was the cool stuff to report on. That's what I wanted to be reporting on. So I was like, get me over there. Let me be like your your Japan guy. And they were like, yeah, you know, we think that's a good idea. We're gonna do it. Blah blah blah. But they just kept pushing it off. Push back. Pushing push back. Off. Push back. So in comes the dot com bubble era of like 2000, and a site called Gamers dot com popped up run by Dennis Fong, Thresh, the guy oh, who was yeah. like the first ever like esports dude. Yeah. And um and 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 he basically offered me to come out to gamers.com and like get them set up as a as a site to sort of compete with like IGN and GameSpot or whatever. Okay. And so I didn't want to leave EGM, but basically I did want to go to Japan. So the the deal I struck with them was I'll do this for a year, I'll get you set up, I'll hire a bunch of cool people, we'll get it like competing. Then after a year, you send me to Japan and I'm just going to be your Japan guy. And they actually agreed. Wow. And so you know, I did. I went for a year. I like hired Dan Shu. I hired Chay Chow. I hired Shane Bettenhausen. I hired Christian. I hired all, all these guys who are now like in the industry and everything. But like I brought all these guys who were basically my friends and like said, yeah. hey, let's make this awesome site. And we did. And then at the end of the year, I, I was like, okay, there's the year. Guys... It's time to go. And they held up. They held their end of the bargain, nice. which is really cool of them. And, they and how sent long me did that Japan. last then? It lasted like three months because after that, <laughs> the dot-com bubble burst and they ran out of money. Um, and I, I kind of saw that coming. I mean, they, it was it was an interesting era, like, to be alive and to just witness, but you knew it couldn't last. It couldn't mm. sustain itself, right? But were you worried or were you just like... No, I just wanted to get here. They I'm paid here. my way here. They moved me here. Yeah. They set me up with a computer and everything. Like, I, I got into Japan in a way that would have been difficult otherwise for a guy who was that young with basically, like, no money, you yeah. know? And so that got me here. And then once I was here, I was able to, you know, it was fine. I was able to get established and, like, do freelance work and then, like... I did some part-time work here and there, and then I worked at a small company for a little while who did, like, agent stuff, but I didn't really enjoy that. And so ultimately came to, you know, meeting Hiroko and then deciding to hook up and and set up uh, 8.4. So you'd never really thought previously about localization? Because I imagine... I did some localization before that, yeah, but it was just, like, it was doing it for someone else, and it was, like, really hard work, and it was, like, not... My thought, our thought, I guess, was, like, if we're going to work this hard on this stuff for just like a faceless you know corporation or whatever why not instead put all this love and effort into it for ourselves and build something out yeah of it, you know absolutely and so that's kind of where it's weird because i think from. one of the biggest misconceptions about localization having worked like in tandem with the localization studio prior is that people think that you do the like translating yourself and then you write the english and all that sort of stuff and it's <laughs> no. like people think oh i can't get into localization because i don't know japanese or i'm not very good at japanese and i imagine like had you not thought about it prior, were you someone like, oh, I can't do that. I don't speak good enough Japanese or something like that. No, not at all, because I wasn't thinking of it in terms of me being a translator. The re- the thing that, the reason that I even considered it in the first place is I knew, I had good friends, 
I, I will say everything in this entire industry that I've ever had from day one has been based around being surrounded by awesome people. Like yeah. even Mark McDonald, who, you know, is, is one of my best friends, but also is like, you know, our former partner here at yeah. E4. Like we knew each other when we were like, I don't know, like 18 on the internet or whatever. Like yeah. that's how we first met. Like we just had a shared love of games. We were all in like a chat room and like that's kind of where it all came from. And the same in the same manner, I had a couple of friends who were really good Japanese translators but who didn't have like any connections or any way of getting work and everything. And so I came to them and was like, well, hey, let's do this together. Like yeah. you guys will translate the games. I can get the editors or I can edit myself. Like I have the experience and the connections to get the projects. Yeah. And that's kind of how we started off. And yeah. so I just started off editing scripts and stuff like that and like managing the projects. Just like, I can do this. And then it's just grown from there, obviously. Yeah. And at the time too, this was like, again, this was what, like early 2000s or, you know, whatever. And it was like at the time, the like now localization quality is, pretty pretty solid it's still got a ways to go but it's much better than it was back then yeah and you know notoriously there are many videos on youtube and stuff like that of bad localization of course, like, of you course. Know, even like some of the biggest games people remember like resident evil and stuff like that I don't know. as long as companies have you know unrealistic budget budgets and schedules and everything there, it, there's always going to be duds here and there but yeah. i mean at, at that time there was much more room for i saw an opportunity there for us to come in and actually make the industry better and that was yeah. ultimately like what we wanted to do and so so that's kind of why we started doing it and it's weird because now you're in a position where due it's some part to being popular because of this podcast you also do and having this whole entire audience of people who maybe not don't even play the games you work on, but <laughs> they know who you are because they listen to you every two weeks or something like that. And then in tandem with working on titles like Monster Hunter and Dragon Quest and all these huge series that are trusted by companies like Nintendo sure, and, sure. and stuff like that to like, you know, pretty sizable, small company like of people who are known for just the love and care that they give to the games they work on. That is definitely a change from prior things. I don't think there is anyone kind of like you guys who are in that weird sort of niche position of being like this respected, popular studio that does that kind of work. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> it, it, it all boils down to us really just loving games and loving what we do and stuff. And like, you, you know, you say the podcast is popular. And I mean, we do have a, a, a pretty decent, um, what would you call it, listenership, I guess. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is, is the people. It's not me. I mean, it's Mark, first of all, yeah. is an amazing host and yeah. comes from a, a, lo a long line of like, you know, podcasts that were amazing, like one up yours back in the day and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know. Uh, you know, JJ is basically without JJ, there would be no podcast. Like he basically runs <laughs> everything and like, you know, and I'm just a guy there who's like kind of, you know, just basically kind of, I wear my heart on my sleeve when it comes to games. And yeah. so you, you can definitely tell that I love this stuff, but you could also tell if it was just me, it would be nothing. Like what I like, especially about you. And I think as well as sort of as a, someone who's listened to eight, four for a long time now, uh, the sort of balance and duality you have with everyone like you have Mark and you who have this similar background in the games but you still sure. clash on games all the time sure. which is great because I feel like you're both not afraid to say what you mean about it. sometimes sure. people are just kind of like oh yeah maybe I'm not too into Destiny it's like no fuck Destiny it's boring <laughs> right and then you know Mark's like no I love that game shut up and then it's like that's really good but then you have the other you have like Sarah and Roy and Graham and even sometimes like Master and stuff like that sure. who are playing entirely different games to you guys right and you and they're talking about it and you're just like what is this why, why are you playing this mobile game or something like that and it's a it's a weird duality that really works and i think makes 8-4 a little more special because of the experience sure. you all have 
Yeah, I hear you. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for the the long history that I think Mark and I have in games and stuff. But at the same time, I'm really glad we have younger yeah. people on the podcast now because, like, you know, like Sarah and Graham and Roy and those and, and those guys, because like they definitely, they literally are of a different generation yes. from us. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's I, the I, new blood. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, you know, on a personal level, I never want to be one of those people who like gets old and like looks down at the younger generation and just like spits on them, whatever. Mm. Like, fuck that. Like those guys are like, basically, you know, you have to respect that whatever's coming after you is going to eclipse you at some point. Yeah. And like that, you know, so I want to know what they're into. I want to understand it. I want to appreciate it and I want to value it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad we have that. But at the same time, I'm super glad we have somebody like Mark who's been around forever, who's a great host. Yeah. Like when we have guests and he interviews people, they're like amazing. Yeah. Like, you know. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's a good it's a good mixture. Excellent. Sure. Well, speaking of experience in games then, and this show is not an A4 episode, it's a John Riccardi <laughs> episode of Final Games. So these games that you have chosen to go to this deserted island that we're <laughs> going to talk about in a little while. Unfortunately, you're going to be releasing a game tomorrow, which is always an exciting time, but you're not going to see it because after this episode, you're going to just magically vanish to a deserted <laughs> place and you're going to be stuck playing the eight games in which we're going to talk about now. Right. So I think it's about time that we start talking about these eight games, John. Sure. And uh, getting into the, your experience and the games you've played over the years. I know you. Sh- you we've been talking about your list for a few days now because I've been sure. in Tokyo hanging out for a while. And you've had a bit of a wrestle back and forth in your own head about the choices you've made. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think uh, I think it's for someone like me, especially who's like I, I'm super passionate about a lot of weird games and stuff like that too. Like, it's super hard to narrow this down to just like eight. And and I feel like <laughs> you know the eight. And I, I've learned to say this before too when people ask me about favorite games. But I would say like my eight games today might be very different from my eight games a week from now. It's yeah. like kind of depends on the mood and what's going on. You know, Dragon Quest Eleven just came out here right now, which would probably, you know, explain one of my picks at least pretty well. But I mean, like yeah. kind of the fever's going on and everything. But um, There's definitely a good balance of stuff there, though, that maybe people don't expect. And also you think, oh, in terms of practicality for a deserted island, good choices as well. Yeah, well, you know, honestly, I think like... My first choice alone is really all I would need if I'm really going to be on a deserted <laughs> island because like I, and I and I picked it you know on purpose for that reason. But like there was also I thought about can I talk about some games that aren't on my list that I thought about including or yeah like, okay let's let's jump into the first game then okay. and then we can sort of balance that. So why sure, don't we sure. why don't we now take some time to listen to some music from the first game and let's talk about John's final games. <laughs> So jumping now into John's first game on his list, and as he said previously, 
pretty much going to a deserted island. An MMO. <laughs> it's kind of the kind of game that you would look to be like, well, I have like, well, if I'm lucky, 50, 60 years on a deserted island. <laughs> Am I never getting off this island? Jeez. <laughs> it, it, it depends. Depends how crafty you are. The rules are you can't escape. So I see. That's what you have to think about this. Definitely a bit, bit more serious, although entirely hypothetical. That's a secret. He's really going. Um, but the first game is an MMO. And I don't think it's an MMO many people would think of initially, but maybe listeners of 8.4 and people who know you as a person and the kind of games you like, they might be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And especially tied into the game you're playing right now, which is Dragon Quest XI. That's right. Um, so the first game on John's list is a game developed and published by Square Enix. It released initially back on the Wii That's right. in August of 2012, the first version of the game. August 2012, and then there was a Wii U version in Japan uh, that released a year later, and a PC version, and an Android version, and a 3DS version. <laughs> and then version 2 came out, and we still did not get a localized version of this game for the West. It's still Japan only, but it came out for the Wii U and uh, PC and all that. And we're going to be later getting a Switch version later this year. So I imagine that would be the version you'd really want to take, I feel. It's that's going to be a pretty good version to carry around with you. It's out on PS4 this month, too. Oh, it's out on PS4 as well. Yeah. So still not again localized versions, but <laughs> Japan gets every version of this game possible. It is, of course, the MMO and the 10th mainline entry in the Dragon Quest series. Something very deep to John's heart. It's Dragon Quest X. That's right. John, <laughs> why is the first game on your list Dragon Quest X? Well, because I'm going to be stuck playing a game forever or being in a place forever. Like, this is one game that I absolutely would sink a ton more time into if I only had it. Like, I've played this game about, I think, maybe 150 hours or something. Most of it in that first year when it first came out. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I mean, as a, you know, as a longtime Dragon Quest fan, it's... It's not some like cheap spin-off. It is a legit real, you know, entry in the series. And there's just as an MMO, there's endless amounts of things to do. So kind of my logic here, I mean, honestly, I, I think it would make for a boring show, but like really the best thing to do would be to take like eight MMOs or something like that if we're gonna be on <laughs> stuck in a place forever, right? Like games the, the, that have the, like the, endless replayability. So this is something we need to talk about when it comes to MMOs though. Because right. the rules right. of Final Games is that you can have internet based games. Because we can't deny in 2017 that almost most games, especially new releases within the past 10 years, have some sort of internet functionality or some online, even like Dark Souls, for example, Mm -hmm. has online functionality. So we can't just rule that out, but we have to sort of put limiters on what you can do. So obviously we don't want to, we don't want you to escape from said deserted place. (laughs) So in MMOs, you could just type your coordinates of where you're uh, stranded on this island uh, or write SOSs and your guild members or something like that could come and save you but if you can play mmos where like pve or just running around with randoms using like the uh, in-game emotes and stuff is fine for you then that's okay so when it comes to like dragon quest 10 is this a game where it doesn't matter so much about partying up with your friends well that was yeah that was i mean obviously that's better but this is a game where you totally communication with others is not like a requirement that's actually one of the reasons i really like it is it's an mmo that you can totally play single player or you could play with other people and not necessarily have to like chat with them like it's pretty good about setting people up together and there are like emotes and stuff like that that you can use but um one thing that's really awesome about this game that I've always loved from from the beginning is that you can hire party members. Like, when you're not playing, you can put yourself up at the bar, at the whatever it's called in English. Uh, I forgot what it's called in English, but um, 
Rita's Pub in Japanese, basically. Okay. It's basically like a famous kind of thing in the series. You could put yourself up for other people to kind of rent you out and use you. And so people can hire you while you're playing. So I could go out and have a four-person party of three characters that actually exist in the game world, but yeah. I'm controlling them. Or the AI is controlling them. Like, yeah. it's basically like you can, you can basically hire other people to be in your party. And so I don't have to have actual friends with me. That's true. Um, so I imagine that's not something you've had too much of experience with anyway, because there isn't a localized version. So, sure. I mean, I have a group of people that I play with in Japan when I did okay. play, and that was really fun. And I mean, it's great when you are chatting and stuff, but like yeah. in this case, you don't necessarily have to. And so it is kind of ideal for that. Um, and you know, being a big Dragon Quest fan, like there's a lot to do in this game, but there's, um, you know, you could you could literally play this game probably like eight hours a day for a year and not see everything because there's just so much. Wow content well there's so many there's just the general story but then there's like all the different you get different job classes that you yeah. can choose and you can level them all up individually as as you know probably with most mmos i'm not trying to say this is like unique or among mmos or whatever but because it's a thing that i really care about it, it yeah it's more interesting to me but um also there's just a lot there's also lots of little things you could do too like you can you know i forget if you get like you get some kind of uh award or indicator or something for like defeating literally every single monster a certain number of times and there's hundreds of monsters so you could even make your own like i could probably make it take a year just doing that you know like going through and fighting every <laughs> like monster a hunter's logo something. you can yeah you can make time for um you, you can find ways to make the game very 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 uh long lasting um and they're constantly adding new content i mean they're putting yeah. out a whole new update later this year i mean yeah it's like the game's <clears throat> five years old now and they're still releasing like the playstation 4 version the switch yep. version is coming later yep and stuff like that so if you were Taking a version with you, and you had to take one version. Obviously, it'd be version two of the game, but which console version would you like? I think it'll be the Switch, just because um, I was actually going to play on PS4, but I found out, it's really weird, I don't really understand this, but it might have something to do with Sony, but like in Japan, the PS4 version is going to cost more than the other ones per month, and like, and you, and you, like, right now, if I have the Wii version, the Wii U version, the PC version, whatever, I can use the same account and just pay one fee a month. But yeah. on PS4, not only does it cost more, you have to pay separately from your other payments. Through PSN. And... You can use, probably, yeah, you can use wow. your same character, like everything, but you have to pay twice, so it's like, okay, I'm not paying on <laughs> PS4. so stupid. Whereas on Switch, actually, if you had the Wii version, you get it for free. There's a, there's a deal where you get the game for nothing, and so I'm going to play on Switch. Because you... You, you're still paying for the subscription. I am. Right? Yeah, I never stop. <laughs> this is my charity way of saying I wanted to support Dragon Quest in any way I can. So even though I'm not playing, you're I'm still, still paying, paying for the subscription. For yeah, I know. It's bad. Don't do that, kids. Yeah. So one thing I do want to ask about this, actually, mm-hmm. as someone who is a huge fan of Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest is huge, mm. but mo- mainly in Japan. Like sure. here, we know Dragon Quest is yep. huge. There's chewing gum of like slimes and stuff like that. There's... Dragon Quest stuff everywhere. At least once a year, there's always some sort of Dragon Quest fiesta or something. Yeah, Graham likened the release in Japan to, like, the Super Bowl in no, the West. Like, it's that so, level of a thing. It's amazing yeah. because, like, having been here, like, getting on for three years, yeah. this Dragon Quest Eleven coming out, like, two weeks ago was my first experience of that. And, like, just even, like, seeing the lines out, like, mm-hmm. outside of, like, Yodobashi Kamara in Kyoto was mental yeah yeah like it's, great. it's crazy and it's so cool because you want to get wrapped up in it and it's really yep. great and it came out at the same time as splatoon 2 so i think it was even more crazy <laughs> for japanese stores sure but as someone who knows about the western industry and the japanese industry dragon quest has never truly caught on massively compared to you know its biggest competitor people say being final fantasy you're gonna ask me why aren't you no i'm not gonna okay. ask why <laughs> what i'm gonna ask is 
a game like Tem, which is an MMO, mm-hmm. if that was localized, mm-hmm. do you think that would change the perception of how Dragon Quest is as a series in the West? Do you think it would be popular all of a sudden, or do you think there's a reason it's not been localized yet? Well, I think the reason it hasn't been localized is probably because it would be a massive, massive undertaking that would cost a lot of money, and so it's risky. Yeah. It's risky to... I would say someone in a suit who like just basically looks at the numbers and is like, okay, this hasn't historically sold super well. So, but, but personally, and I think they might've missed the boat already, but personally I would have localized it. I would have localized it a few years ago and I would have made sure it came out on PC in the West as it did here. Uh, And it's a really good game. People don't just like, you know, once that gets around and catches on, people would try it and realize, Hey, this game is awesome. And then they would play it and it would have done, it would have at least done well enough. I feel to justify the localization costs. Okay. And it would have maybe pushed the series, especially with like 11, which is going to be localized. And we also got the 3DS remakes of seven and eight. Yeah. Maybe the sales of those games would have been higher as well. You think? I think they probably would have. Yeah. Probably because just, I mean, if it had spread on to be a big thing, but again, it would have had to be on PC. Like as much as I love playing it on a console, I, your reach is so limited on a console with a yeah. game like this. Yeah, especially, yeah, because I mean, even like Final Fantasy XIV, which is like the success story now yeah. of MMOs. Yeah. Even the console versions of those, the numbers are sure for the beginning they were weirdly not great, and then as people found out that that game was fantastic, they burst. But for a while, people are so hesitant about games yeah. that are like MMOs on consoles for you know good reason. You seem to limit like the chat functions; they're slow and obtuse and stuff like that the choices they make so it kind of does make sense but in terms of like the series moving forward now with dragon quest 11 and it going back to that the sort of standard formula of dragon quest being sure. a rpg are you excited that they're gonna get everyone in the west is gonna get to play super excited yeah and i mean 11 has a lot of the dna of 10 in it which okay. i guess you wouldn't notice in the west if you hadn't played 10 but like there's a lot of like Things they did intend to modernize is a bad word to use in the Dragon Quest series because I mean <laughs> you, you know but yeah. but 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 there are a lot of things in Dragon Quest Ten like the for example cutscene direction is is much more interesting and dynamic and like quote unquote modern than it was in previous games and storytelling they're just it's, they're they've always been good at storytelling but I feel like it it really kind of came into the modern era with Ten. Um, Apart from the fact that like there's no voice acting, which is a big issue, but I do think yeah. if they localize eleven, they'll probably add voices anyway. So, but I mean, a lot of those things that happen in ten are carried over to eleven, and so eleven feels like a huge step up from like nine, the last, the last real yeah. single player. Because nine was so. a great game as well. It was, but eleven is much better. So I think yeah. people will 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 dig it. In terms of being like a localization studio, when you look at RPGs, mm-hmm. and like we're not talking like a massive MMO like ten, which just sure. has like Bible worthy amounts of pages to fill. Mm-hmm. Do you get apprehensive about such massive projects? Because you guys have done, you know, DS RPGs, and those games can be like hundreds of hours long. Sure. It's like, how is it approaching something like that? Do you get nervous about not, I guess, the time limits are longer for projects like that, but just the fact that you have to keep track of all these different items, all these different like glossary terms, and all these monsters and everything, compared to a game like, for example, Undertale, which is a game you're doing sure. right now. Not not really. I wouldn't say nervous anyway. I mean, actually, we kind of prefer giant projects. I mean, they can be a real bear to work on. I mean, when we did Xenoblade Cross, Xenoblade Chronicles X for Wii U, like, that was a full year project 
of like just nonstop being super busy with a big team. Like it's a yeah. giant, giant game. I think there's over like two million moji or something like that. Two million like characters of text or whatever. It's translated. But um, <laughs> which is which is you know your average RPG is a couple hundred thousand. So like yeah. just to give you perspective. But like, but no, actually bigger projects like that are, are more interesting and fun because you can kind of set in a team and commit long term to like making something awesome. And so okay. it's a little easier to, you know, it's a little more overhead and a little more upfront management to kind of get it set up but once it's set up it's kind of really nice because then you've just got a system going forward and you know you just got to basically as long as you don't like fall behind schedule or whatever it's yeah. actually really nice to work on a game like that excellent yeah. well we're gonna see hopefully dragon quest 11 next year in the mm-hmm. west and i'm super excited i've been so tempted so many times every time i walk into like fucking big camera or yodobashi i'm just like i look at it i'm just like my japanese level's not good enough but i want to try it anyway especially the playstation 4 vision because that looks beautiful like i was talking to graham about it other yeah. eight four graham about it and he said it's just it's like this is anime <laughs> as a video game this is like yeah it's it, really gorgeous it looks incredible and all that kind of stuff and i'm just like oh, I'm so <laughs> tempted i'm so tempted but we're gonna move on to the next uh the second game now sure. on the list and we're gonna go i think to the very beginning one of the very beginnings of video games in general in terms of creating the industry as it is now and uh, the giant monster that is Nintendo. So why don't we listen to some music from this wonderful next game, some beautiful music, and also talk about the island in which we're going to send you, or the deserted place. Sure. So jumping now into the second game on John's list. But before we do that, John, we have to talk about where we're going to send you. Okay. So we are on Final Games. We send you to like a deserted place or a deserted realm. It started out as a deserted island, but that's kind of limiting considering the question I'm going to ask you. And we we discussed this a little earlier. Yeah. Um, But we allow you the choice of place where you go. I mean, we're giving you eight games. That's kind of generous. Sure. I mean, we don't want to be too mean. And by we, I just mean me. Right. <laughs> you could literally just jump over the table now, strangle me, and you would never have to go. I'm free. And free. You're free to play not just eight games, but all the games, and also not be trapped on a deserted island. But for the sake of the show, we are going to sure. send you. And um, the rule is, obviously, it has to be a realm from video games. Sure. But there won't be any NPCs who can help you out. There won't be any friendly characters. It will be deserted. But if you choose a place that has, like, wildlife on an island or such, that'll be there. So you have to be a little careful. I see. About what you choose. So is there anything that springs to mind? Or have you thought about this a little more since we spoke? I thought about it a little more, but I decided that I'm just going to go with the thing that first popped into my head in the first place. Like, I, I was originally thinking I would didn't want to pick some place like someone else has already picked or whatever, but I don't really care. Because honestly, like, the thing that comes to <laughs> mind is the... Uh, 
is Isle Delfino from Super Mario Sunshine. I, Isle um, Delfino. Because, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's a nice, I like that game. I know a lot of people are down on that game at some times, but I, I really enjoyed playing Mario Sunshine, and uh, and the music is, like, catchy and in my head yeah. all the time. So, like, even if no one else is around, as long as the music is playing, that's pretty cool. That's the thing, is, um, like, when it comes to stuff like that, we have discussed on Final Games prior, when you get, like, a cool place that has awesome music, yeah. there has to be, like, a button somewhere in this place where you can't have just constant theme music playing and you it would drive you crazy i think the same music playing over and over but if you had like a button where you could turn on the soundtrack to that game that you're trapped in sure like on and off on your own world then that would be pretty cool i think right so you could have like all the nice sort of tropical steel drums of mario sunshine playing in the background i wouldn't mind having that backpack thing too so i could like play around with this water and stuff but whatever yeah that would be cool mm, could you escape with that though <laughs> no you can't get far with that thing you run out right yeah but that's but when you think you can't about- travel across the ocean with it, can you not? Oh, I don't think so. No, How's maybe it- maybe that was just the invisible walls. I, they they I still got the invisible say, walls. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm trying. Yeah, okay. It's fine. Yeah, okay. As long as we have Nintendo's <laughs> pre-built um, invisible walls. So speaking of Nintendo, yeah. and we are gonna at the end of the show send you away to Isles of Fino, sure, with you know Dragon Quest N, and now the next game mm-hmm. on your list, and. Um, we had a little conversation about this the other day over some drinks about talking about what is the best sort of game in this series. And you're still adamant it's this one, which um, makes sense. It does make sense. But of course, this game was developed by Nintendo's research and development team um, back in the day, directed by Miyamoto-san and Takeshi Tezuka. It released back on the Famicom disc system in Japan in 1986 and also on the NES in 1987 in North America. And... Um, the Japanese like NES version, the cartridge version, didn't mm-hmm. release in Japan until 1994, 94, which is right. crazy, crazy to think. The Super Nintendo was already out. They oh. released it because they put out a second version of the Famicom, like the, ah, the, the uh, sort of re- whatever they call that. The, the it was always top loading in Japan, yeah, yeah. but in America it was when they made the top loading. Yeah, version. yeah, it was just to have like some extra something for people to be interested. Strange, in. yeah. But of course, this is game is the I would say almost original action adventure video game that is. The genesis of most RPGs and action games today is, of course, the first, The Legend of Zelda. Yep. John, <laughs> why is this the second game you're taking? Um, well, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know... <laughs> is it just one of those that goes without saying kind well, of things? Well, I'm a huge Zelda fan as well, and, you know... I think a lot of people would just say, if you're going to take a Zelda game, why not take Breath of the Wild? Because it's so big and endless things to do and everything, and that's true... And you'll see, like, there's probably a little bit of a theme through all the games that I pick, but there's some, there's a lot of nostalgia involved in this too. Like, but this yeah. is a game that, for as 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 big and widespread as Breath of the Wild is now, like, to a twelve year old when Zelda One came out, it was similarly like kind of mind blowing, magical um, experience. Yeah, totally. And uh, and you know, the thing about the first Zelda is. Um, I think it still holds up today. Like, it's a great game that you can replay endlessly and not really get sick of. Part of that is because, you know, it's got, um, I mean, you have complete freedom to do whatever you want, which was sort of the groundwork for Breath of the Wild in yeah. the first place. They've, they've said multiple times yeah. they used this first Zelda yeah. as their sort They didn't of look at any other Zelda really apart from one. Right. So it's kind of like the, the prototypical version of Breath of the Wild in a sense, but it's also like it has, so you have complete freedom to go wherever you want, but it's also got like arcade-like sensibilities. Like, you know, you, you are essentially running around playing an action game in a RPG world, right? I mean, you're going around, it's fun to just shoot the sword like when you're at full hearts and it's fun to just go around and blow stuff up and and light things on fire and kill enemies (laughs) and everything. And there's a lot of like, 
it sort of has that sort of feel good element of action games packed into a you know quote unquote open world um, yeah and you know I never get sick of it I've never gotten sick of it and so with that in mind I felt like you know if I was going to take one Zelda game with me I mean if I were being lazy I would bring Breath of the Wild just because like I actually do want to get to 100% but mm-hmm. once I got to 100% I don't know like how much more I would play it until they made new content whereas with this one I feel like I can play it you know put it down for a couple of weeks pick it up again and play it again put it down for a few weeks and I kind of never get sick of it so it's more of those where you sort of have the terms like blanket warm blanket like the mm-hmm. the sort of safe thing that you know so well that you turn it on you just like, uh, like almost like relief like you hear the music you see the the aesthetics and you're just like yeah yeah that makes me feel better like i mean i kind of already do that like you i i haven't i didn't do it last year but like every i'll play this game through like once every 12 months or so like in some form or another you know just like i'll maybe in the mood or a lot of times i'll do it over like the winter break because yeah. i have like for some reason, I associate this with like the Christmas holiday or whatever. Yeah. Probably the first time I got it was yeah, like when you, Christmas yeah, or whatever. Exactly so. right. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's still a brilliant game, and it's like its design is so um, at the time, especially it was just well, its design plus again the nostalgia factor, like playing it at the time when you didn't have an internet to share tips with other people, yeah. and you kind of had to learn stuff by communicating with friends and stuff. It was sort of a social, an early era like social experience. And yet it was also just this really great magical game, like with the map and the map was like only partly filled out and you had to fill it out the rest yourself and everything like all those aspects of it are really cool to me and and it never gets old to me. So in terms of like taking it to a desert island or taking it to the Isle of Delfino, Mm -hmm. which is the best version then? Like I imagine like the original NES version must be special but having played so many versions of considering nintendo can't fucking make an account that holds one <laughs> purchased version of a game like you know there's like the ds versions the 3ds versions the wii versions the wii i would version. probably just take the, the original version yeah. i mean i'm not super picky about that like i don't you know I, basically i wouldn't want any version that like is watered down or has like extra load time or something weird like that but i mean i'm totally fine with just playing it the way it was back in the day like the gold cartridge mm. and on a crt and yeah. like you know it could be even a small one i don't care uh and just playing it the original the original way yeah i like i played through the japanese one as well the famicom disc system version and it's a little different as you know people probably know um, yeah but at the end of the day the i like the american one a little better um probably because i grew up with it so you know, because the music is a little different on the, on the Famicom one, yeah. and there's some aspects that are slightly, you know, changed. But um, the original cart version on the NES is probably the one that feels best to me. Excellent. Well, in terms of, like, just briefly talking about Breath of the Wild and Zelda 1, mm-hmm. and then making Breath of the Wild... Breath of the One? Breath of the Wild inspired by Zelda 1. With, yeah. with some ideas to it. I don't want to say, like, they were like, hey, we need to remake this game. That's what we're going to do. Because that's not what they did. They looked at, obviously a little bit of other open world games, especially in the West mm. and stuff like that. But they were like, we had something here with the first game, and we want that kind of genesis. Yeah. As someone who is a big fan of the first game, and then everyone's like, oh yeah, it's Breath of the Wild has got that same DNA. Do you feel that as much as other people do, or do you still think there are key differences that Breath of the Wild misses about what makes Zelda One so special? <laughs> um, Breath of the Wild is is i mean they absolutely succeeded in and i think capturing the core essence of well here's the thing that i learned from playing breath of the wild and i think this is really interesting and I, you know having discussed the game with a zillion other zelda freaks over yeah. the last you know whatever it's been how many months few months anyway um five six months um yeah. 
It's not even you know, that long. It's I know, so it's not even weird. that long. I know. It seems like it's been forever. It feels like it. <laughs> um, but having discussed it with a bunch of people, you know, the thing that I realized and I think is, is important to understand is that Zelda means different things to different people. So, mm. like, it's okay to be a super crazy, hardcore, ultra Zelda fan like me or whatever, or even like Mark or like Jose Otero or some of the other people who I argue about this game with. But, like, it's different things to different people, and that's okay. Um, but for me... Um, but well, okay, I'll get to me in a second. But so the core essence of it, though, I think is that of Zelda one was the freedom to do whatever without anybody holding your hand and like, without there being like a one right way to do things. Okay. I, mean, I know the levels are numbered one to eight, blah, 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 but you don't have to do them in that order. No, you can, you can sequence anywhere. break or if yeah. you want to call it, it's not even really a sequence because you can do it whatever order you want, but you can basically go around the game in different ways and explore it. And they captured that part, I think like really, really well, yeah. obviously. Um, there are aspects of Zelda that to me personally, um, I feel were sort of lacking in Breath of the Wild. Um, but this is again, nitpicking. Like to me, that's games like a 9.5 out of 10 easy. Like there's <laughs> definitely like, it's one of the best games ever made for yeah. sure. Like, so again, these are super minor nitpicks, but like, you know what? And I guess really minor spoilers if you haven't finished the game. No, I'm not going to spoil any story or whatever, but like basically um you know the fact that there are no real there's not really like an underworld like there's no dungeons i mean i know there's quote unquote the, the, the shrines sort of, no well there's I the shrines and the, and the beasts and i've said this a million times so i apologize if you heard it before but the shrines to me are like and they're fun and there's what a hundred something of them whatever yeah. but they're like endless appetizers whereas a dungeon to me is like dinner and yeah. there's no dinner there in isn't. this game is what i feel like yeah I, like i feel like i'm constantly getting amazing snacks and uh and the four you <laughs> know just i've had enough appetizers now yeah. just give me the dinner and, and I, I agree and the four um i forget what you call them but i don't even, i also don't want to spoil so like the four kind of core challenges that you have to go through before you can like really the see the end dungeons. you could kind of call them dungeons yeah. i guess do not qualify as like good zelda dungeons to me they're like serviceable and there are some parts that are like oh that's really cool that's an idea i haven't seen before yeah but they are nothing compared to some of the best 3d dungeons they've done before like yeah. not even close they, um they're and, weird and so and, and that's fine like that's what the game set out to be i'm not again this is a super minor nitpicks but like for me personally on the scale of what matters in zelda I want to underworld. I want to like be traveling in a forest and see something that looks weird and push it aside and holy shit, there's a dungeon. You know what I mean? Like that's what <laughs> Zelda was to me. Like going down and like then exploring this whole thing, using your items in a being forced to use your items in a creative way to get through uh, puzzles or whatever. Like, um, and so and I think I don't think that's gone forever by any means. I, I have a feeling that whatever they do next is probably going to bring some of that back because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's like, yeah, like you know taking, talked about this like taking what they've done in Breath of the Wild and being like, okay, well, what did we miss? What did we miss? We hit so many marks. Yeah. But one of the things we didn't hit. Right. So, oh, dungeons. We kind of didn't do dungeons. We did these shrines, which are more like, the way I think of shrines is I think of them as like, like a mobile game. It's like a 10 minute, you go into the shrine, you do the little puzzle and you just like, don't sure. touch it. And that, that, the game some of them are great, doesn't, but they of, all look the same. They all kind of have the they same all have basic the same music. Rules. Yeah, yeah. Breath of the Wild is fantastic, some but of them there repeat. are things that are in, yeah incredibly repetitive. And there are some that you'll the ones that were the most interesting were the ones that you did stuff outside to get to it, mm -hmm. and you did a puzzle, and then when you went in there, it rewarded you for doing the stuff that you didn't expect was a puzzle outside. Right. Because when you go into a shrine, you expect a puzzle to happen, whereas. When you're going towards a shrine, and especially in the first few times you didn't realize that they had these kind of things in the game, mm -hmm. was, oh, this is harder 
you can't just walk up to the shrine. Oh, I have to fucking do something? I didn't expect that. And you're like trying to figure it out and you're like looking at the mountain or something and you're like, huh, so if I do this... And that required a lot more brain power, I think, than just going into a shrine and be like, okay, now there's a puzzle I have to sure. do. And then it being like all the other puzzles you did. So there is definitely some stuff they missed, I think, that leads into the sort of stuff that Zelda 1 did so well, the sort of sense of discovery and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And the, you know, the other thing, and, and you see what I did here, by, right? But I got you to basically let me talk about Zelda and Breath of the Wild as one <laughs> game, but, um, which was entirely my plan. But um, God damn it. <laughs> but uh, the other thing I would say is like, and this isn't a thing that was necessarily an issue in Zelda 1, but... Or, or it wasn't present in Zelda 1, but I feel like the story of Breath of the Wild is, like, really disappointing and, and kind of boring. And, like, that's not a super important thing to me, because, like, Zelda 1 really had only the basic facets of a story, and you kind of put the pieces together with your mind for the rest. But I'd yeah. almost rather have that than what they gave us, because they've done better jobs with stories in previous in other Zelda games. So that, okay. And that's a minor thing. But, yeah. but that was, you know, with Zelda 1, that was the other thing that was really nice about it, is you can kind of let your imagination take you or fill in the blanks for you. And I think a game like that, that's another reason why a game like that would be really nice to have for like a long period of time because you can sort of, you know, you can play the second quest or you can play the first quest or you can put certain limitations on yourself as to how you play or you can yeah. try to beat it without the sword or you can do this or that. <laughs> I mean, sure, you can say that for a lot of games, but, you know, Zelda yeah, is you really... you can also do that in Breath of the Wild as well. There's sure. definitely those, those unique challenges where, unlike previous Zelda games where you always had to have an item to require to do mm -hmm. a dungeon, it's nice to be able to like huh, I'm just going to fucking break the game and do what I like. Sure. Which is a really nice feeling that comes from Zelda 1 as well. Yeah. But speaking of Nintendo industry changes, I think sure. it's about time we talk about another one, and a one that yeah. means a heck of a lot to me, because I think without this game, I probably wouldn't be here recording this podcast right now. Oh, wow. Because of the how big of a change this game had on the industry and what it did. So why don't we listen to some fucking amazing music from this <laughs> game? I love the soundtrack to this game. All Mario games have amazing music, and this one is no exception. So let's do some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. into the next game now and the next game is a game for me i've spoken a little bit about how much mario means to me and it's funny because although this this game specifically means a lot to me it's not the mario game i would take to okay to the island i would take super mario world because i think that game is just interesting fantastic but this game was the game when i was a kid because i was like the cusp of the super famicom the super nintendo and the, when the N64 came out, that was when I started to understand video games. Like, I could actually finish them and complete them and be like, oh, there's more to this than just running around the first level like a headless chicken, not knowing what to do as a small child. This was like that time. And when this game came out, I'd only ever seen 2D games. Right. I had never seen the PlayStation. 
then I got an N64 and I got this game and I was like, oh my God, what, this is incredible. This is like, this is all I ever want to do. All I want to do is play games all day. All I want to do is draw pictures of this little red plumber dude. And just, <laughs> this was how I felt then. And I imagine someone who was working in the industry at the time, how big this was. Oh, so yeah. of course, if anyone doesn't know, we are talking about Nintendo EAD's fantastic 3D platformer that was directed by Miyamoto-san and, you know, Koizumi-san, who has now become front and center with all the Switch stuff and Mario Odyssey, which is really cool, and Tezuka-san as well. Music by Koji Kondo. It released back in 1996. It was the launch game for the Nintendo 64. It is of course, Super Mario 64. John? Yes. The game's amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Mario 64 is like... Oh, man. Yeah, I, I still remember... You mentioned, like, when it, working in the industry when it came out, I still remember the day that my N64 showed up with that game. It was, like, the most amazing day ever. Because, like, at the time, we were, like... We... Nobody had... I mean, other than at, like, events and stuff, people yeah. hadn't even really held that crazy-ass controller before, right? The oh, N64 yeah, yeah. controller. And, like... And, you know, Analog 6 had just sort of become a thing. And, like... It was uh, it was uh, opening a door into not to sound like cheesy and cliche, but it's kind of true. It was like opening a door into like a new um, a new dimension of gaming, I guess. That, yeah, that sounds totally like a commercial. But um, I can like, even see it like in the horrible '90s font, like <laughs> on the back of a magazine. Welcome to a new dimension of gaming. But it was like um, you know, it was the last. I feel like the important thing about this game to me. I mean. So first of all, just on a really basic level, it's super, super fun. And yeah. it's, it is it is the sandbox it, more so than I feel like any other game that tries to be a sandbox game can be because it's just fun to do nothing in this game. You can just run around and jump around mm. and like do little things and like it never gets tiring to play in this game's world. Um, and it's so big. There's so many levels. There's so much to do there. So like, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that I never get tired of. It's similar to Zelda one. And for me, in the sense that like, I can replay it every couple years and not get tired of it at all. Um, this even is... though there's, there is newer and arguably better Mario games now, like 3d Mario games. Yeah. Um, but, but they're almost like, it's like since this one, they've all had to have some kind of gimmick or, or something to make them more than what they were before. Whereas this is just a pure Mario. This is almost like the Super Mario 1 of like 3D Mario games, right? It's just yeah. pure running and jumping, it's, exploring it's, Mario It's game. like really funny you say that because I've never really thought about it until now. Like I would argue that like Mario Galaxy mm-hmm. in my head is a better 3D game, a 3D platformer. But I can't remember any of the levels very well. But then when I think of like Super Mario 64, I'm like the snow levels with like the penguins yeah. and like the bomb bomb field and like... The uh, underground caverns where you're chasing, like, the things and you're, like, running. You can be, like, Metal Mario and stuff like that. All of that just, like, floods into my head. And, like, I'm like, oh, I want to play those levels again. Yeah, like, well, I also Mario Galaxy it. had the, I mean, the, the gimmick, I think, there was that the you're playing on these little spheres. Like, the, the sort of mm. circular world. It's very whatever. segmented. And that was interesting, but that wasn't, like, it was different. Like, you could like that. Sometimes you can get tired of it, whatever. Like, Mario Sunshine, you had the, the water pack thing or whatever. Like, you know, 3D Mar- uh, Mario 3D World was also great. But you have like sort of you're playing like these sort of um, almost like diorama worlds or something like this sort of 3D perspective 2D gameplay like this was just the pure you know 3D exploration um, and it was the first time we had it and it was the last I feel like the last true generational shift we've actually had in gaming like before VR and AR and VR are kind of like the next one yeah but then the they're the closest things to... Like, this was at the time. You were going so from 
2D gaming being the norm to suddenly running around a 3D world for the first time, like understanding the concept of a camera. You didn't even think about cameras until yeah. like this game came out. Um, and 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 just thinking about what it means to kind of explore a 3D space. And they did it so well on the first go. There were other <laughs> games around that time. Like Tomb Raider was around the same time, I remember. And there were a couple of other like 3D platformers coming after. But like nobody did it anywhere near as good as they did. Um, and so at the time it was like, this blew my mind and it was a generational shift. And, and, you know, again, like then I think the, the, the next one since then is probably VR or AR, but those are kind of still amorphous to some degree because, um, like, I think ultimately they're going to be an even bigger shift than maybe the 2d to 3d was, but they're happening really slowly over a long period. And like, it's not that immediate impact. Like Mario 64 just came and like punched you in the face and holy shit, 3d gaming is here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was like this almost, is how overnight, games are from almost now. overnight games yeah. changed. Yeah. yeah. In a really good way. This is um, how games are now for the next 20 years. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, it's, I mean, there's only so many dimensions. So like, it's not going to happen that much more often to have something like that happen. Um, it does. It does remind me of like, it's gone this weird position where you have, the genesis of video games to then like the Nintendo systems, the Super Nintendo being like, here, gaming is now this thing you play at home. Everyone has it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was like 3D games. The only other thing I can think of is the graphical leap between like the original 3D stuff to then like the PlayStation 2 era when you were seeing like games like Final Fantasy 12. Like that was the only time I can ever remember there being like another sort of shift, but that was more of a yeah, graphical but that was, that visual, was like a, it not was. a style of game. Right, because that was the same as like going from say a NES to like a you know a Super Nintendo or so, or yeah. so like a two D game on Saturn or something. Like it's the same core framework, it just looked a lot better. Yeah. But this was like taking the framework, throwing it in the trash, and like trying a new thing basically. Um, <laughs> and so you know that was amazing. And I mean, all that is just more like what it meant to me. That's not really necessarily saying why I would have it with me. But again, I think it's just like a really fun game to play, and it doesn't really get old or tiring. Um, and you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I feel like I could just constantly go back to it and and find new things to do with it and not get sick of it. And like you said, the music was amazing, too. And so that's so something good. that's really... Music is super important to me in games. I think music is, yep. like, the possibly Agreed. the most important thing in games that people gloss over when they're talking about game experiences. But, like, that's the thing that does something in your brain and, and attaches it to a memory or yep. whatever, you know? And so anytime I hear music from Mario 64, I'm, like, instantly teleported back to 1996 in my little office when I got that Japanese N64, oh. like, you know, in June or whatever. And like, so good. it was such a great summer and such a great time. And like, I would love to relive that as, you know, as many just times a as I could. Like, you've not heard that before. Now everyone knows that. And it's just, uh, so good. Yeah. It's incredible. And looking forward then to the future of Mario games mm-hmm. as someone who has played a bit of Mario Odyssey and the way it looks and the way people say it plays is it plays more like a Mario 64 than a, a Super Mario Galaxy or other sort of 3D Mario games. People are like, this looks and plays a little more like the sort of explore a 3D space, not do a level kind of thing. Do you mm-hmm. feel that way? Are you excited? I played it for like excited. 10 minutes just for starters. So oh, like, okay. it's not like I played a bunch, but yeah, no, but I mean that, that was the, the early impression I got was closer to Mario 64 than other 3d Mario's, but like with more of a repertoire, I guess. I mean, there is a gimmick this time. The gimmick is the hat, right? Yeah. But the hat is really fun to just, cause you flip, <laughs> you, flip, toss you it throw around, it out, right? you throw it up in the air and you do all these things with the, with the joy cons. Um, and it's really fun. So I had a really like 
super super positive experience and like i'm really ultra excited for that game like more so than i have been for a new mario game in a while but i don't think it or anything is ever going to top the experience of playing mario 64 for the first (laughs) time because you you can't that's one of those things that just can't be replicated yeah just a once in a lifetime basically thing yep okay well switching gears a little bit then we're going to go back to playing games that you can play forever in a sense this is a series notorious for the hours people put into it mm. and um you'll know all about it because you worked on uh, a few of them right uh it depends on which game you're talking about i'm not sure what's next but well <laughs> we'll find out now when we okay. listen to some music and of course dive right into the next game So, jumping into the next game, mm-hmm. John, you uh, did a little bit of cheating, and uh, you, you've you done this twice on this list now, <laughs> but we'll get to the other one after. Now, the next series mm-hmm. you chose, you just put a title down, sure. was Monster Hunter. Okay. But on Final Games, we, uh, we make you have to specifically choose one. Right. So, I'll allow you to sort of make your decision-making process <laughs> in that, live now on... I'll just tell you the logic in my thinking about it, because, you know, I love... Monster Hunter is a series that I've loved, and, and yeah, as you said, we've worked on it before, so yeah. we're maybe more familiar with it than most in some in some ways, but I mean, I have a personal favorite from the past, but which is personally was Try, but okay. it's all based upon the experiences you had at the time that you were playing it, and like... Try we were, was the first one we worked on, but yeah. we also was the first one to be on a console and online in a while. And like, so we were playing online. This was the Wii U one, this was, right? This is Wii. Oh, the Wii one, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so and you know, it was just kind of. I feel like every Monster Hunter game is magical once you penetrate that kind of almost impenetrable barrier at the beginning. <laughs> you know, you get through the. Well, sort you of, guys made it easier with four. Ultimate. We we tried. Well, well, we didn't. I mean, we didn't. We, I, I thought you were going to talk about the podcast. We tried to do it on the podcast. Like we basically you had entire yeah. episodes, basically to sort of like explain the appeal yeah. and try to. You had former Final Games guest Adam Ivanko, right? The guy yeah. from Hunter himself. I think we created that monster. Uh, so you know, yeah. we deserve a cut of his YouTube royalties. But um, <laughs> no. Uh, but basically, um, <clears throat> you know, because of that, like if I had to pick one from the past, I would probably just like figure out which one has the app, the most content of them all, and then grab that one. They're all similar in a sense. But what the reason I didn't want to pick one for sure is because I wanted to ask you is because. At the same time, there's a new one coming out next year. Um, I don't know if I could like just have that like dropped on the island once it comes out, so you... or like if I can just delay my getting banished until that day. But like <laughs> ultimately, I would probably want to take the new one. So Monster World. Hunter World, right? Yeah. So Be- the rules are you can do that if you want, but you're risking it because what if the game's bad? Right. I don't. They haven't really made a bad Monster but Hunter. But they game are though. really making a jump. They are. And yeah. feel mm-hmm. for a console is a lot different to the handheld. Because sure. they've refined that 
over a few games now. From like yes. Once done to three ultimate. Sure. Four ultimate. But I'll be honest, I got I got a little tired of the handheld ones though, to be okay. totally honest, because one of the one of the most appealing aspects of Monster Hunter is the visceral feeling of of fighting a monster. We've talked about this before, but it's akin to like playing a fighting game that's really good. Like each yeah. monster is like a different It has know, its towels, it has its animations and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and so each weapon is like a different uh, character almost. And so yeah. like the visceral feel of like taking the, these these awesome weapons against these amazing monsters is much, much better when it's on a big screen and and, and, and good graphics. So, you know... <laughs> Not blurry. I love having it on the go and I love that it was online finally in the last couple of versions, but it's definitely like always was thinking i wish this was on a big screen okay. in like next gen okay and so for that reason if i can do world even though it's not out yet because i think the things that i would talk i am talking about that are appealing about monster hunter carry over all the games it's yeah. not like any one specific was so much better than the other for yeah, that yeah. reason so so um, are you are you gonna take are you gonna take the uh, jump if you're if you're letting me then yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll allow yeah. it we'll be we'll have to somehow get you to put a message in a bottle or like get flood to like fire. Just airdrop it. It's fine. You you can you know you know where the island. No, is, right? we you want to hear your thoughts after a few. Uh... I see what you're saying. Well, let me just talk about the series in general a little bit though, because like again, this stuff doesn't change that much. And no, like, yeah. The, you know the thing about so you know going back again, like when we played try, like you know, it's it's a game that's super hard to get into at first because you need somebody to teach you. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, like there's just no getting around that. You need somebody to hold your hand and tell you how to play the game, but like. <laughs> Once they do that, um, you know, you can play multiplayer matches of this game without necessarily doing a bunch of communicating. I mean, you, you, you know, you, once you start to play with people a bunch and you kind of learn how to deal with these monsters and stuff, people yeah. take on roles, their weapons sort of cl- classifies how they play and everything. But you can really, like, play the game endlessly and it doesn't get boring. It's just so good. Um, it's got some of the best combat, I would say, of, like, you know, any game ever. And so that's another reason why this seemed like an ideal game for me because it's i mean you can kind of almost play it forever there's an online version that almost would be better because they're constantly adding content to it but it's not the best version of the game monster hunter frontier it's kind of oh, like frontier, yeah. it's kind of endlessly iterating online, on, one, right? on that is the online oh there, well, the there's PC a chinese one online all, yeah, one yeah, or yeah. something but uh, that, uh, that doesn't count but um <laughs> no but like yeah i think uh you know playing a game like try or try g or whatever was just like one of the best experiences i've ever had and like it's one of those things where you you the more you put into it the more you get out of it so i mean world is gonna have the drop in and drop out yeah which i think would be super cool like you if you if it has like a randoms option when people can just like drop into your game especially like on a desert island Mm -hmm. you're just gonna have endless quests it's gonna be like dragon quest people can rent you out kind of thing right right now it's gonna be like that so you're gonna that's yeah, but then they good. seem to be adding stuff to it that looks really interesting too, like tracking monsters and mm-hmm. like having no longer being restricted to zones when you play and stuff. Yeah. This all sounds like really exciting. Who knows? Maybe it'll come out and it'll be like, oh, I'm tired of it after a month. I yeah. don't know. But like, I'm willing to take that risk on this series because it's done a lot for me over the years as far as like enjoyment. Like, again, it's too it's too bad that it's so hard to get to the, the sort of zen spot in Monster Hunter where you're like, you're you're understanding the whole game flow and you're it's like you're powered up or something and yeah. you know what you're doing and you can kind of sort of push the game forward and get better equipment and, and and fight stronger monsters but when you're doing that it is like it's like someone's injecting like some kind of like like amazing like this is sounding like a drug reference or something but like someone's injecting like awesome into you and you're like this is great i can't stop give me more like i need this it's so good 
And so, like, that is, like, one of those rare things in gaming where, like, if you can get that feeling, you don't want to lose it. Yeah. So. Well, you can take Monster Hunter World when it comes out. We'll, we'll airdrop it. We'll somehow... <laughs> Maybe Sorry, we'll I'm have like rules. maybe we'll have like Peach or who's the mayor? Mayor Toadstool in the first in Sunshine. What's his name? The the old Toad that has like oh a, god, I don't remember glasses. his name. <laughs> I don't forget his name as well. They can bring it to you. Sure. Um, <laughs> so for now, as you are leaving today, you only have seven, but you, sure. you'll have one to look forward to, which I I feel like is in uh, such a situation such as being deserted on an <laughs> island. At least you have something sure. to look forward to. Um, but we're gonna move on to the next series okay because you've done the same thing again john i did this twice and you got i know i'm sorry to all past and future guests who are actually follow the rules but, <laughs> but this is the exact same situation exact as same I'll situation. In a second. so let's listen to some music from the series okay maybe from one we'll talk about it in a little bit but um let's listen to some music from the series and let's of course dive straight into it jumping into the next series that we're going to talk about and then we're going to narrow it down we're going to we're going to we did it with most Hunter world we got one game out it's right like we we narrowed it down i've that, got one on this one too it's uh, just it's, it's kind timing. of the same situation right mm-hmm. um so this is a series that john you'll know as minano golf here in japan and it originally was what 1997 was the original launch of the first game in the sounds series. right it was around then yeah anyway. in the west everyone who's listening will know it as everybody's golf or, or oh, what's the um, Hot Shots Golf? Hot Shots Golf. Everybody's yeah. Golf is like the European name, yeah, and Hot Shots Golf true. is the American name. That's the one I know. And the the Everybody's Golf, I can't remember which one it was on Vita, was like a game I played to death. Yeah, absolutely to death. So this is a series I have a little bit of experience with as well. But it's a series that spanned like PlayStation, PlayStation Two, PlayStation Three, and has always been. Supported by Sony as the publishers. And there is a version of this game that's coming out in a few weeks, right? Yeah. It's coming out later this month on PS4. So, John, you're picking a golf game. Like, I know. So, what's this all about? And I don't even like golf. Like, in real life, golf to me Fuck. is like, I've never played it and I have no... Like, it's one of those things where I... I mean, I could never play it and I will not regret never playing it. But um, but as, as video game golf goes, like, I find video game sports sometimes more interesting than the real world counterparts to Excellent. me. Um and and this is like a game that has a really good um game mechanics i would i guess i would say it's fun it's a game that so real quick background um the guys who originally made this game were camelot 
Yeah. And they made one version of it, the very first one. Yeah. And then they went off to work with Nintendo and they made the Mario Golf games. Yes. So Mario Golf is kind of like the spiritual successor to this series. <laughs> and what they did, pe- some people who worked on this first one split off from Camelot, made their own studio, and then have been making it ever since. So okay. it's all kind of incestuous. But um, That's clap hands, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and and so the one that I'm going to pick officially is the one that's not out yet. It's out in like two weeks because they're not – they've never made a bad one and they get better with each one. And, and I just – it wasn't out yet so I didn't know if it was okay to pick it. But I mean <laughs> it's going to be out in two weeks. If, if it's not okay, then it's the last one. Whatever. It kind of doesn't matter when discussing the game because like essentially, you know, it's a – it's a it is a golf game but it is very much um, – it, it's – skill based like it's like there are mechanics to it like it's a lot of it is simply just how you swing the club and like how you time your your uh your swing and how you look at the level of the ground on the grass as you're hitting the ball and you're factoring in the wind and you're factoring in the weather and you're factoring in like there's a lot of math involved and that tickles some part of my brain i think um that you know gets me super hooked on these games when i play them um, and everyone that's come out that I actually played, I skipped a couple because you know you you can get sort of um, you can get sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for sort of, sort of bogged down saturated. Yeah, I guess yeah, it's too yeah. much, but but yeah. yeah, but like when they do when I do get into them, I've played them for like probably over a hundred hours. Like yeah, they're just one. one of those you turn on, you play like eighteen holes, and you're just like that was good. Yeah, I'm gonna play that again. The mo- the mobile one recently came out in Japan. Yeah, and I've been you were playing talking about that, that a bunch, right? and you only play that like one hole at a time. So it's kind of like that is just sort of the snack version of it, like snack size, bite size version of it. But it's still really fun to play, yeah. and translates well to mobile. But um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's a series that I've always loved, and it's very relaxing. And and again, because it's it's hitting that part of your brain. Like someone should do studies on this because I'm sure there's reasons why this is this way. But like basically, like it it's it's satisfying to play and do the math and then get better at it. And you do actively get better at it. So like you feel a sense of progression as you play. Like it's not just from getting better gear or better clubs or better balls or or whatever. It's like you also like feel yourself improving the more you play. And then if you stop playing, you get worse. It's one of those things where like you kind of have to stay at it. Yeah. And then somehow like, you know, you get better and better at it and actually get skilled and can play really well. And it feels really good. Um, and it's it's golf, right? So you can just do it forever. It's you not like keep, it's, yeah, it doesn't really matter, does it? You just keep playing. And stuff Some like variables that. are like changing constantly, like the weather or whatever. And so you know you can basically play this thing kind of forever. So it's an ideal game to be playing for a really long number of hours. Doesn't this new one have like some sort of cool like? almost me-like feature where you can like create weird like me-like characters because I've seen some like screenshots of like like Shuhei like and his like persona in the game and stuff like that <laughs> and it looks like me characters but I'm not quite sure I don't know too much about the new release. I actually don't know too much about it either it's called New Mina No Golf and it's out in like a couple of weeks and like the core of it I know is essentially the same as before but yeah like they always have some you know customization options there actually was an MMO version here for PS three maybe or ps2 how does that work back in the day it was really cool like you had it was like there was a golf club you were uh, like i mean literally like club like not a, like a, yeah like no a like golf. a clubhouse yeah exactly yeah. where you would belong to and then you could basically hook up with other players and, and and play these big matches of like you know 18 holes with like however many people and stuff and nice it was really cool but it was during the era it might have been ps2 it was during the era where it was not easy to like get online get online <laughs> with, with your playstation and okay. like actively play so it didn't last long it never left japan um 
I think it was PS2 maybe because it wouldn't have been that hard on PS3. But no, absolutely not. And they've done that with some later versions, but at the time that was like really cool. But yeah, like it's one of those things that's it's uh, another game where you could play with a lot of people but not necessarily have to communicate directly to have fun with it. So Yeah, it's really weird because as someone who's like grown up playing like soccer and stuff like that, like quite avidly, games like FIFA and stuff like that, they appeal to an extent. But when I look at games like Super Mario Strikers, mm-hmm. which is like a wacky take on a sports Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, give it to me. Like, <laughs> give it to me. It's like yesterday, I was playing Rocket League for the first time in like a year, and I just remember, like, this is so much fun. Like, I like soccer, and this is like, it feels like a soccer game, but with like that added extra. There is like, it's not boring in any way. And like, games like Minano Golf and Mario Tennis or stuff like that, it's just like that yeah. added bit extra. So you get the competitive drive of like a sports game or playing the sport, but with like more fun. It's like yeah, when they add stuff to it, it's really interesting. Like the first one of the first games we worked on as eight four actually was Mario Tennis uh, Advance, and like you know it's got like kind of RPG elements to it and stuff that make it really fun. Like you get to like you know level up your characters and like walk around and talk to people and stuff. They did that with golf too, I think. I forget, but like yeah. it's been a while. But like. Yeah, when you add stuff like that to a game like this, it becomes really fun. That's actually another thing about uh, everybody's golf, I guess, that's really I really like is that your character levels up sort of like an RPG. And so it tickles that part, too. Like yeah. that sort of like people like to feel progressing. progression. And also you get yeah. like loads of clubs, you get clothes, you get all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you customize the hell out of your character yeah. and everything. And so, yeah, that stuff is really It fun. is that general game stuff that makes you keep playing you're not just playing because it's golf you're playing also because like huh i mean it means it has no bearing on my real world existence but i really want that one wood driver that looks really shiny and i want that so i'm gonna work really hard to get it and that kind of thing yeah so like if you if you asked me for a list of like the eight best games of all time or whatever that wouldn't be anywhere near the top but it is the kind of game that i feel like i could play for like super extended periods without getting sick of it and so that's why it's on this list excellent well speaking of games you can play forever because you've got a good (laughs) good amount of them but i feel like this is the uh atypical game that people would think of to play forever it's one of the long-running puzzle games forever and uh, this specific version is like whenever i talk to someone about this series they're always like that version is the best version Mm. and it stands out quite often so let's listen to it and let's dive straight into it So jumping into the next game, and just before we did, John, we were speaking a little bit in the in the interim break between the music. There was a little earthquake. Yeah, I totally didn't even notice. <laughs> did, was the table shaking or something? Was, or the, the room was swaying. The only, <laughs> the only reason I can tell is because, for anyone who doesn't know, I live in a part of Japan that doesn't get earthquakes, if you can believe that. We get it very, very rarely. But you live in Tokyo. We have like, them all the time. There's like one every fucking day. Yeah, if you're standing up, I notice you don't even notice. But we are sitting down now, so I'm kind of surprised yeah. I didn't notice. But I think yeah. you were so enthusiastic about Minano Golf <laughs> that so. 
I just felt the tiny little swaying, and I was like, ah, this is the first time we've ever had an earthquake appear on the show <laughs> before. Nice. I can imagine the amount of 8-4 episodes you've been sat here and just been, like, all swaying together. No, you know, it doesn't happen that often. I don't. I can't think of any, like, yeah, natural disasters or, like, earthquakes or anything that have happened during our recording, but... <laughs> Well, yeah, unfortunately it was small, so... Yeah, yeah, it was good. You didn't even notice it's just passing them by. <laughs> but um, I guess on the Isle of Delfino, you don't have to worry about such such disasters no longer. And uh, the next game you're going to be taking with you there is... Uh, you can equally get distracted by it that you probably wouldn't even notice earthquakes if they happened anyway. Um, but the next game is a iteration of a famous series. Mm-hmm. A famous... I don't know, even series, like a style of gameplay... It's a, it's just synonymous with puzzling and being one of the most addictive games of all time. But this version is a DS version that released back in 2006. It was developed by Nintendo and published by Nintendo as well. It is Tetris DS. Yep. John, why are you taking Tetris DS with you? Well, uh, my thinking was you have to have a puzzle game, right? If you're going to be trapped somewhere, something to sort of just like... When you want to like just zen out and like lose yourself to I don't know instinct or whatever and just play a game like that, you ignore know? earthquakes and all that. <laughs> Basically, exactly <laughs> wildlife. Um, and so you know, my original thought was to include uh, Panel de Pond, which yep. is also known as Tetris Attack, which is, in my opinion, well, I, let's just say it's my favorite puzzle game of all time. I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's my favorite puzzle game of all time. Yeah. But um, it's mostly dependent on having like a skilled opponent to play with preferably in the same room. So I don't think it really fits for this sort of thing. Um, you know, unless someone else is banished on the island who happens to be really good at, uh, at, at Panel de Pond. So, you know, because of that, I thought about what would be a good solo puzzle game. And, and I mean, easily my favorite solo puzzle game ever is Tetris. Um, and then from there, it's, well, which version of Tetris is the best Tetris? Well, the one that I liked the most anyway was Tetris DS. But honestly, they're, most of them are really good. Like the Game Boy Tetris and Tetris DX were great. Uh, the even the NES versions were good. You know, there's some great ones in Japan like Tetris Battle Gaiden and so on and so forth. But like Tetris DS is just it's it's portable. It's really solid and well designed. Um, it does have multiplayer if other people are around and can play. Um, and you know, it's just Tetris. Like it's not like you really need to spend <laughs> sure. a lot of time explaining why Tetris is good. It's just one of those games that like really. Um, I assume it's like this for everyone, but I think it could be the sort of thing where, like, if your brain is just sort of, like, uh, finds, like, organizational things appealing, like, organizing blocks is super, super, um, I don't know, it just feels good. I like it. It's satisfying. (laughs) Fulfilling as well. Um, Yeah, when we, uh, you know, back at EGM, like, in our 100th issue... We famously like did the top 100 best games of all time, and like what a dangerous line. I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember arguing about it for days. But like, I was one of the people who was pushing hard for Tetris to be number one. I know a lot of the guys didn't want it to be, or didn't agree that it should be number one, or that it's like a safe answer. And you know, I understand that too. I understand but, the safe answer thing. Yeah, but... but it did feel to me like. Maybe at the time, to be honest, my thought might have been, well, I don't want to have a number one that anyone's going to get like upset about so at least in that sense it was good but like you know it is like that level of game to me it's like almost perfectly designed like yeah just super simple concept that works really well in practice and like feels good to play um and i 
I might get sick of it every now and then where I have to put it down for a couple of weeks, but it's one of those games you can always come back to and then yeah. get hooked on again and there again is, and again. Yeah, there's not like an end point for Tetris ever. It's mm-hmm. like you can go like 10 years without playing. You pick it up and you're like, I know what to do. Yeah. I know exactly what to do. I might not be as good as before, but I'm going to play this now for like, you know, 10 hours or something like that. And It's an amazing design. Like it's such a simple concept and yet it's so well done and it's well, so fun to play. It's just weirdly one of those mathematical things that it's mm-hmm. not even a game. It's like a, it's a trick of the brain yeah. almost that uses math and shape. Geometry well, a lot to, of the games that tricky. I really like happen to be those kind of games. I think there's like, you know, that math part of your brain or whatever that I just like to like scratch that itch. Like, do you play games, games like threes and stuff like that? I did play threes a lot. I really liked it. Threes... I couldn't get good enough at threes to be able to like play it long term. It's like some of those like Puyo Puyo was like that for me too. Yeah. Like eventually I got good enough at it to to like string long combos together, but like it's one of those games where like me personally I think my brain can only take a certain level of like, you know, like thinking this many steps ahead before I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Somehow with Tetris Attack I did manage to get good at it. It could just be that we played it for like hours on hours on hours on end. But, um, you know, eventually I remember famously with that game too, like we were playing, a bunch of us were playing and uh, I don't know if I was playing against Dan Shu or he was playing against someone else, um, but we were, we actually crashed the Super Famicom because like the, the combos got so ridiculously intense on both sides of the, of the screen. But like, it's one of those games where like you can just get really, really into it. Just hours and hours of play as well multiplayer and things and the the nice thing about the tetris ds one i always remember is that it had all the like nintendo specific modes like you had like the uh the themes like the super mario bros theme the yoshi mm. theme and stuff like that and it was always like it was kind of like some of the classic music and stuff yeah too. and it, you know it comes from like the panel to pawn stuff as well where you could have like the yoshi's island version or whatever it right. was and all the sort of nice little nintendo aesthetics around it which it's, uh, it's nice. It's, it's like a nice little touch. It's weird to me. I know we're, we're talking about another game again, but it's weird to me that Panel to Pawn has not like had a proper good remake. Like they made a DS version. I don't know if it ever came out in the West. Maybe it did. Puzzle League, it was called. But like, oh, okay. Well, I remember Pokemon it, Puzzle League. Yeah. Well, there were those, and they yeah. they were okay, but they weren't perfect. There were always little problems with them here or there. And like the one they made on DS, I think was pretty good, but it had some of its issues as well. But then like. They brought it back in Animal Crossing of all places recently. It's like it's playable single player only, which is a crime, but it's a single player <laughs> version of it in Animal Crossing's latest DLC, which just, you know, to me was like, I hope that's them sort of reminding people that it exists because they're going to make a proper real one on okay. Switch. But yeah. Because we'll I mean, like, it's perfect for that type of thing. Like, we've already seen it with like Puyo Puyo Tetris and stuff yeah. like that. There is like. Ah, uh, the Switch is perfect, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's literally yeah. two controllers. Yep. attached to that thing like you can play that and you just need a d-pad mm-hmm. and stuff like that so it's like come on yeah just do it just do it already i mean Puyo Puyo tetris is a pretty good substitute but different type of game so yeah i've always like enjoyed Puyo Puyo, but it's never been my favorite like uh, you know puzzle thing and i think it's for that reason i said earlier which is just like i couldn't think far enough ahead to actually plan the combos well enough i guess if you played enough you would but I just, it's, a, it's a learning experience with anything, really, yeah. isn't it? But there yeah. are some things that maybe click faster te- than other well, things. Well, with Tetris, though, it's more... It's less about... You're not really planning combos, so to speak. You're just organizing. Like, you, it just 
you're literally just cleaning up like and that's what's really nice about it she's i mean like, oh the sweeping away everything just making everything nice and clean yeah because there's only a certain number of locks there's only a certain number of ways you can turn them and set them up and eventually you learn all the different possible patterns and then it's just a matter of like memorization skill and like fighting against the speed because it gets faster and harder yeah right? and that's just like really satisfying so nice well we're gonna sort of scratch your brain a little more with the next choice on the list and the second to last choice as well which is uh sad because it's been Enjoyable so far. We've had earthquakes. <laughs> we've had discussions about series and not just games specifically. We've had a nice little bit of cheating. Breaking there, rules. Of course, breaking rules. And uh, we're going to go into the second to last game. And this is more about the creativity or mm. the uh, the ability to make things that can last a long time as well. And being able to just make endless amounts of levels and forever play Mario. <laughs> so let's listen to some, of course, lovely music from Mario again. And jump into John's second to last game. So jumping into the second to last game then on John's list and we're scratching the brain a little more. I don't know how much compared to like Tetris and stuff like that, but in terms of like creativity and um, flexing those muscles in terms of designing levels and making cool things, this is a awesome, awesome, awesome game, an awesome tool as well, developed by Nintendo's EAD team and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo Wii U, which uh, unfortunately... <laughs> yeah, and then it also released on 3DS. Yeah, with distinctly lacking multiplayer functions, which is uh, a shame. I can understand Nintendo's thinking behind trying to get people to sort of share together, but the reality is it was never going to work that way. But this game is excellent, and it's not just a game; it's also a creation tool, and it's called Super Mario Maker. And I'm sure every does not everybody pick this game. Like it must have had it a few times. We've before. had it. Once, once, really. It was Nina Freeman. Okay, good on her. I like yeah. Nina. I like her games too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't I know. I mean, Nina. we've had lots of creation tools, but they all have all different types. But Mario Maker, I think, is the people just sort of like they're like, oh, I can only make Mario games. Mm. But I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, that's here's the thing. So this started as, um, you know. Well, it's the sort of thing where, again, if I'm going to be stuck in a place with only so many games, why not have something where I can create endless variations of games? Like, yeah. that's kind of the point here. You know, I, I thought about other stuff, too, like RPG Maker or something. I don't yeah. know. But, like, something like this is, like, seems like in its purest form, like, you can make really awesome, fun stuff kind of forever. It was, like, a brilliant, brilliant idea from Nintendo. Um it's, it is a shame, again, that it's on Wii U. Not not I'm not, like, dogging Wii U, but, like, Wii U's not really, like, in, quote-unquote, in circulation anymore. So, like, I'd rather it were on a system that, like, people play actively now. Yeah. 
but it requires two screens when that's an issue too, right? So I mean, you could you could fix it. Like, well, maybe they make it like an app on you on your smartphone or something where you can design from there. I don't know. But like there's, there's also the idea that you, the the Joy Cons have motion controls. You can sure. use like a pointer on the screen to like drop blocks and stuff like that. I think that's true. You could also flip the screen. Like, you just hit a button to flip between the exactly, screen right? and the regular there, screen. There are, there are ways you can get around it. But, I think. But it's never going to be as intuitive as it is having no. a separate tablet, basically. The thing to... is, it works so well on the Wii U. It's yeah. just a shame that it was on the Wii U. Yes. But, you know, the other thing, too, is, like, I thought a lot about, like, if I would put Super Mario 3 on this list or Super Mario World on this list or maybe even Super Mario 1 on this list. And then it's like, well, why put any of those on when you can put this and essentially make those or, compl- you know what I mean? Like, you can kind of remake those games to, to a degree If with you have, this. like, the visual memorization. <laughs> yeah, because there was a really great... A sort of rare version of um, Super Mario All-Stars on the Super Nintendo that also had Mario World on it. Yeah. And that's like a one cart with like five amazing games on it. People have chosen that on the show. Yeah, I would have chosen that as well, but then it's like the same thing. Like, with all the time in the world, you could just make those those levels more or less. I mean, not perfectly, you know, but but then you could also make so much more. And so that's why the idea of having a game like Mario Maker seemed really uh, And you can also play everyone else's levels too. Yeah, exactly. If that's if yeah, exactly. And that was another thing, you know, with some of the games I chose, you you know, I don't have nearly as much time as I would like to play games. Like my backlog is embarrassing. Like I have stacks of games unopened that I want to play someday. <laughs> and realistically, I'm not going to get to all of them, but like among them that I really wanted to put a lot more time into. I only probably played this for like 10 hours or something when it came out. Like I would have wow, loved to yeah. play it a lot more. I just didn't have the time. Okay. But I definitely understand the appeal and I see that I would like, you know, totally fall in love with it had i been able to like take you know a year off or something yeah, and just, yeah, like, yeah play games so to me it seems like the kind of perfect game for this sort of situation it definitely is it's like the cheat almost there are lots of ways you can get around this sort of whole thing but to me this yeah, is i try like, not to think about it too much because yeah, this is you know there's yeah, lots of ways there to are lots of ways to get around it but as the person who hosts and the <laughs> controller of all the realms I think in some ways, like, you could spell out, like, help. Maybe, like, you could spell out, like, help me in the game in Mario Maker or something. But we can just say that you can make the levels for you to play, but no one else can play your levels. Sure. So you can't, like, cheat in a way. But it is one of those that it's like a no-brainer. It's, I can see why people come at the whole Minecraft choice as well. It's like you can create anything forever, always be creating, making new stuff. But, yeah, you are essentially just making new Mario games all the time. And if you have perfect memory, like Bruce Wayne or something, you could <laughs> you could just remake every Mario 2D Mario game so far right. and just make all the levels. It and, would be uh, fun just to like make as much of it as you can by memory, even if you get it wrong, just to like sort of like, you know, put it together the way the way you remember it or whatever. So but. speaking of, John, could you make eight four? No way. Eight four is like a super I mean I, I remember eight four really well. I've played it so many times, but like, <laughs> and you had to remember back in the day, right? Yeah. Because eight four, we're talking about eight four on the original Super Mario Brothers, yep. but eight level eight four is um, there's only one way to get through it, and you have to know the path, and so yeah. otherwise you get in like kind of an endless loop. And so I remember the path even today. Like I can play through that whole game, you know, probably on like without at least. I don't think I, I mean I probably die a couple times, but like I'd easily get through the whole game, remembering everything that's in there. But eight four especially was like a level where. Like, it, when I'm playing it, I remember it. But if I try to think of it, yeah, I can't try remember it. Try to break it down. I need to see it. And when I see it in front of me, I'm, like, instinctively know where to go. But, like, if I'm not, if I'm actually trying to <laughs> think You're trying it, to think of, like, oh, is it, like, yeah. Yeah, it I would can't... be impossible. That was a very com- complex level for its time, too. So. Excellent. Well, it would be a nice little project for you to do as well. You can give it, 
give it a shot. Try and make the your own eight four version as well. Right, right. And just John's eight four floating away in the Isle of Delphi now. <laughs> but we are going to move on to the last game on your list now, John. And um, and you don't know what it is. I don't even know what it is. John won't tell me. Everyone tells me the list beforehand. Uh, Here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you that no one's going to like this. People are going to get mad at me for choosing this game. Wow. But I. And, and and I let me ask you a question too. Like when this is over, like how does this end? Can we talk about games that didn't make the list at all? Yeah, Just, we, can, okay. we can have a little chat. Because I have stuff that I want to talk about that that I feel like I would have definitely chosen. Okay. But I did choose this last game, uh, knowing that it's going to upset anybody who listens to this. And I apologize in advance, but I, is, oh, it I needs wait. to be said. I'm it's not super that. Excited. It's not. It's not I'm get, super excited. John, don't, don't shake ex- your head at me. Don't get excited. It's not that surprising. <laughs> but I, but it does. It's more of like, well. How do you want to do this? Do well, let's to... go. Let's. Uh, you're gonna. You're gonna I'll find you some what it music. Is. You're gonna find some music. So <laughs> let's listen to the music, and then let's dive into it. Okay. Let's dive into John's final game. Okay, John, lead, lead me. <laughs> so you, you you have no idea what I'm thinking. I've got you, no idea, you, dude. The amount of experience you have had. Think of how what would disappoint you the most if I told you right now. Well, it depends because like with you, I would think RPGs. I would think right. excellent Japanese imports and all kinds of crazy things. Mm-hmm. Like if John was like, Gears of War two. <laughs> that War, would disappoint me. But, Gears, um, that's the kind of thing I'd be like. That's a secret. <laughs> that's that's a surprise. All right, I'm almost disappointed in myself, so don't get mad at me. But my last game is Pokemon Go. Wow. Okay, no, this makes sense now to me. Okay. This makes sense to me now. For anyone listening. Again, this is not a list of the best games yeah. of all time. I am not here telling you that this is like belongs in the same <laughs> level as some of these other games, but there's reasons for it. This makes this makes sense as someone who knows John. Um <laughs> And people who listen to A4 sure. as well, I think, will kind of understand. But yeah, yeah. some people are going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah, but uh, I would be if I was listening. I don't blame you. Like, I mean, but then again, you and me mm-hmm. and a friend Kyle, yeah. we went to Yokohama <laughs> last, week, last yeah. week for a huge Pokemon Go event yeah. that was way more successful than the one people in Chicago paid for. Sure. Yeah. And uh, there was thousands of people. Yeah. And there was all sorts of... Poker stops and poker gyms and <laughs> all sorts of cool stuff, but it was really fun. It was really fun. That's the thing about this game. So first of all, being on an island or whatever, I assume it's still it would need to be playable there. So assume, yeah, assuming it's playable, yeah. there's poker stops, the there's gyms, whatever. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I am into very much into where the future of games is going, and as a social 
thing, and I'm not talking about like esports, and I'm not down on esports, but they don't really interest me. But what I'm talking about is more like social interaction in AR and like VR to some degree. Different ways people play games. Right. I talked earlier about like how Mario 64 was like dimension shifting or whatever, and like it's kind of the same thing in terms of AR and VR. It hasn't quite happened yet the way I want it to, but I do think eventually it's coming. Eventually, we're going to have like games that are kind of like AR in the real world that are that are require you to go out and do physical activities and yes. be social and okay. like these are all super important things to games to me um and that's why like it's almost like i'm not trying to throw pokemon go under the bus because i actually really do enjoy pokemon <laughs> go but it's more what it represents it it's you. what it represents and stands for <laughs> okay. and where it's taking games than than it than what it is as a core experience right now because right now it's you know it's got a lot of problems like i don't i have, i'm sad that a lot of people have fallen off but i understand why they have like i am obviously not one well, of them let's let's talk a little bit about when we went to yokohama yeah so you were like we're going to yokohama come along and i said oh, i don't play pokemon go yep and i thought oh it's an event i'll come along see sure. all the other people playing as soon as i got there i reinstalled it mm -hmm. and i didn't have anywhere near as many pokemon as you i've got nothing essentially sure. from when i started last year but just the fact that the game was working there was all these people playing because that's the thing is when when it initially came out so so worked depending sure. on where you lived as well like where i live in japan is quite countryside it's not tokyo like right. you are blessed with the ability of living in the biggest city in the world where there are lots of poke jams lots of bookstops yeah pokemon everywhere yeah so for me i fell off because i didn't have anything to yeah play, it's, right? it's totally and there's just no one there doing it as no well. it's very much that's unfortunate too but it requires you to be in a place like i could totally understand why a lot of people would be like that game is boring as hell there's nothing to do blah 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 it's much easier for someone like yeah. me to enjoy because I live in a city that is just like mobbed with like Pokestops and gyms yeah, and things exactly. going on all the time. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the, the home of Pokemon. So like <laughs> I'm, in that sense, it's unfair and I get that. And it's weird because like at this Yokohama event and like I'm literally not even exaggerating. There were thousands of people yeah. and they were all looking at their phone playing Pokemon. They were all looking at their phone playing and they were all, you know, at this particular event that we're talking about, they had, uh, a, you know, a monster that was never released in Japan before and they also had some other ones that are just super rare, the unknowns. And yeah, like, they had the get them in different letters. Like yeah. they had kind of like a little mini thing event going on and it was fun to sort of it forced you to walk around between these two real-world parks that are about, like, ten minutes walk from each other and sort of look for this stuff. It was kind yeah. of like a scavenger hunt in a sense, a little bit. It was a little bit like that. A yeah. little bit. Like, not, you know, like, you didn't have to go around. Like, you probably could sit there and wait for them to come to you to some degree, but it was more fun to go around and look in different places and try to find stuff. And the thing that really hit me about Pokemon Go when it first came out was the sort of social aspect of it. Like, going outside, walking around, like literally being more physical than you were the week before it came out because now you have a game that forces you to move yeah and like that sounds so simple things don't come stupid, to you but like you have to go to no things. exactly and that's i think that's super important like people yeah. are becoming vegetables when they're playing video games <laughs> and stuff and like it's really nice that there's something that makes you go out in the real world and play and then there's also you know you meet you meet people you meet new people this way you actually are forced to like socialize yeah. and like i mean you don't have to but like that makes it more fun like it, it definitely does gaming like as a social experience is one of the most important things i think and like there's just different ways to enjoy it i personally don't enjoy so much like for example um you know, like a game like Destiny or something, which I super respect, or or, or like you know uh, FPSs and so, and so on. Like, like the online multiplayer. Yeah, I'm not that big about getting on a headset and chatting and playing these big these big multiplayer games yeah. in that sense. But I respect them. But like, what I really am about is like actually going out and like having to talk to people because it reminds me of like going back to game. What was it, number two or whatever? Like when I was a kid and I had to like go to my friend Sam's house and like 
talk to him about like how to get through dun- the second dungeon in Zelda because that's the only way I was going to get any other tips because this <laughs> other guy who was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you were, you used to have to socialize to do these things. Yeah. And so it's more of a symbol, uh, a martyr maybe, but um, you know, it's like basically like... <laughs> there will to- be something, maybe Pokemon Go version 2.0, that re-release where... It's constantly getting better. I'm not... Yeah, like, no, I- agreed, agreed. Because from the, even like, and that's the thing is I think the biggest tell for me mm-hmm. is that i i'd done with that game i had no sure. interest i came along just out of interest of seeing the event not the yeah. game came along reinstalled it mm-hmm. it's still on my phone <laughs> it's still on my phone now and i've been playing it in the past few days i've been in tokyo sure. and i i can understand a little more now why if something like this comes along that works well and works everywhere not just sure. it's limiting to people who are, live in a big city of course but anyone can play it and it gets people out and it gets people talking then it's going to be fun. Yeah, and we may be a ways away from that still, and that's that's fine. But it, it definitely feel like it's 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 you know where stuff is going, and and it, it has gotten better lately. Like they have raids now where you have to go. So, so now because of the raids, you know you're, I'm gravitated towards uh, populated areas like in, in Tokyo, like Shibuya or Ebisu or like these kind of big stations because I'm guaranteed if there's a if there's a raid going on there, guaranteed to find a ton of other people. Whereas yeah. if I go to my local station or something. Uh, there might be like five people, not enough people to get the job done. Yeah. So like, again, I'm not even thinking about it. But then after the fact, I'm like, hey, I just went to this like area of Tokyo that I otherwise wouldn't be at today if I didn't want to go do this thing in this yeah. game. And so that is still super appealing to me. And that's why I put it on here because I feel like, well, if I'm going to be on Silent 2, I might as well go out and be active and explore and get some exercise and so on and so forth. So, um, But again, it, it's more representative of where it's going as opposed to where it is right now. But I, I see, I see a bright future for this sort of um, this sort of experience, and it's one of the reasons why I've sort of quickly turned from being a VR evangelist. I love VR, and I'm yeah. still super into VR. But VR is not where it's headed. I feel like AR or like the evolution of VR may be mixed in with AR. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's the real world elements of VR, not being at home trapped in a room in in a in a visor. Like a hololens. That's going to be interesting. Type. Yeah, exactly. Being able to see the world with the virtual experience over the top of it. Almost. Yep. Yep. That just sounds. You ever you saw that video some dude made of like playing uh, Mario in like a hololens or something like where they just had like the blocks in front of them. And they were yeah, jumping. Yeah. About. Like I that's did super that. crude and like looks sort of broken and busted. But like that's absolutely like the kind of thing where we're probably. Like that would headed. be fun for an afternoon. Like absolutely. Getting yeah. a couple of people together, you're all like messing around. Get who gets their high scores, and it's funny to like watch someone do it who can see the blocks and you can't because that you're not wearing anything and you yeah. just see your students just jumping there is those experiences there that can yeah. definitely happen as well um but this being a game then more of a an ideology that you're taking with sure. you to the end what are some of the things then that didn't didn't cut the mustard well sure i have a few to <laughs> Yeah, I have a few. I mean, um, you know, one thing I'm not ashamed to say is I, I do enjoy playing mobile games, but again, that's kind of a being a product of my environment. Like when you're in Tokyo, it's a lot easier to enjoy mobile games because of the social aspects of them. Yeah. Not not just those kind, but like for example, I was big into Monster Strike for a long time. Yeah, you were. Which is a huge game in Japan, 
And the reason it's a huge game here is because you can basically go anywhere and strike up a game with somebody. Oh, God, that sounded like a pun. Um, but anyway, like, you could basically... You've done, like, two advertisements. I know, I'm totally... You're well, localization, that's why. You can tell. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that. Um, but, you know, the thing is, it, it has a, it had a huge following here, but it's actually a really well-designed game. And I'm really sad that... It, I think it recently died in the U.S. Like, it's out. It's not, yeah, it came out later than the Japanese one and then lasted... The like, marketing was terrible, and they didn't understand. Like, they tried to force people to be in rooms together rather than make it online which you could also do like they, they they messed it up bad but it was a really good game so like i thought about that for a little bit because that's a game that i literally played for hundreds of hours over like a span of a year and a half and i never got sick of it i only stopped playing because i kind of got mad because they were like basically like forcing people to play a certain way rather than letting us play the way the game was kind of naturally oh, okay. moving us towards you know so which they just is playing changed the rules out or something yeah they took online out of the american version like for a little while because they want it's like you guys are blockheads like what are you thinking why would like, you do that because exec don't yeah executives you know like who stumble upon a big hit like yeah. uh, that happens sometimes but um that was one uh mario paint was definitely on there um for a while it was one of my eight but i didn't make it in the end but like mario paint is a game that i feel like you could spend endless time in i also didn't want to have like so many mario games on the list we already um, have two mario maker covers the whole creativity <clears throat> sort of part of that as well yeah but i mean there's something to be said for just sitting there and doodling like and like <laughs> or that. making music right exactly yeah. and it was a cool thing and in the same vein game boy camera was something that i was thinking about as well because it's kind of like a, a portable we have had of... game boy camera once on the show really before. Great. yeah Whoever james Montagna. all right awesome from way forward good, good job james yeah that yeah. was a good good call uh, other stuff I was thinking, like roguelikes are endlessly playable, right? Yeah. So you know something like my I like Spelunky, I like Rogue Legacy, I like the um, Rogue Legacy. What do they call those uh, in English? Uh, the Mystery Dungeon series or whatever. Oh, the Pokemon like, ones. Well, not ju- I don't really like the Pokemon ones that much, but the original one was a Dragon Quest spinoff, actually. Um, oh. It was a Tomiko game and um, Joker. No, no, oh, no, Dragon no. Quest Monsters. It was nope, not that. It was called. Uh, oh, what was it called? In Japan, it was called like Tornico's. Oh, uh, Daibokan, but in yeah, English yeah, it was called Tornado the Last Hope or something. But yeah, basically yeah. it's the it was the sort of forefather of Jinsoft's um, Mystery Dungeon series. Yeah. It was really good. Um and you know, Super Metroid, Symphony of the Night. <laughs> I'm looking at my list of games that didn't make the cut. Like Final Fantasy V is Final like one of my five? favorite okay. games of all time. And you people do endlessly replay it. They, they do play every, it every year. The job fiesta. Um Speaking of which, Chris Kohler, a good friend of uh, mine, just wrote a book on Final Fantasy V that I think is out very soon for it's uh, Boss. coming out season three of big Boss books. Boss Fight books? Or boss Fight boss? books, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Alexa Ray Korea. Yeah, but yeah. The Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts, Hearts 2 one. Yeah. Check both of those out. There, I'm reading Chris's book, actually, the Final Fantasy V one, and it's really good. Um, I love that game, though. But yeah, I had a ton of lists. And in the, in the beginning, I was originally thinking, like, maybe I'll just make this, like, forget about the fact that I'm on an island. Like, I, I will... You know, sacrifice, sacrifice myself for the sake of talking about a bunch of games that just influenced me, like, growing yeah. up. So I didn't, but, like, there was stuff like Intellivision games on there. I had, like, a TRS-80 game on there, but <laughs> we'll have to save that for another podcast for another day. Save that for another day. But but that's the thing. The It did start out, initially, Final Game started out as a sort of inspirational thing. It was, like, one mm. of the games you would take because they inspired you. And that's why, still, this is a podcast about the games that inspired us. But... The more we go progress, the 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 whole being trapped. It's interesting to think about stuff that's outside of our sure. initial boxes of these are the top best eight games, I think. But now, actually, no, these are the top best eight games I think would work for me for the rest of my life if I couldn't play right. other games. Right. And it's I think it's super interesting to hear someone like you, who people know for playing like Dragon Quest and stuff like that, sure. to take Pokemon Go 
Right. And that being like it's a definitely super like I almost feel like choice. I'm even like Minato golf. Like every, sure. everybody's golf is like people are gonna be like, Really? Overseas, yeah, but I think in Japan nobody would bat an eye because it is a super popular yeah. series here and it's it's up there with the with the big with the big, you know, high level games in Japan yeah. as far as like being a big franchise. But yeah, I mean Pokemon Go I feel a little dirty, but but again, hopefully <laughs> hopefully I explained the I think why part well. of it. Because I think the why part of it is far more interesting than just you know it as a game itself i think it makes more sense to me as well considering the trip to yokohama that yeah that gave me more insight into that sort of train of thinking and what and how that kind of game can because for anyone who doesn't know it's summer in japan right now and it was so fucking hot it was 38 degrees that day which i think it is was, like close to 100 in Fahrenheit. it was so hot <laughs> and we didn't we we had like one drink. We went and got some shaved ice, but we were out for like five hours. Yeah, out five, in the sun, getting sunlight, hours, getting, you know, yeah. breathing fresh air, breathing fresh like air, walking around. It was so hot, but it didn't matter because at the end we were like we were all like super tired, but we were like, nah, that was a blast. I, I felt like, like that was a good. A day. It was like a good day, and it yeah. was because of that social aspect of like, oh, there's like an unknown here. Quick, like everyone, yeah. like, oh, let's go this way. And it was like super fun, so it does make sense. But John, we've come to the end now. We made we, it. We have to. Send you off to the Isle of Delfino. Okay. We're going to get a boat. How did Mario get there? Was it like a plane? It was a plane. I think it's a plane like either yeah, crashed or land. I forget, yeah, right? Yeah, lands on, and there's like, a, they skid because there's like the paint on the runway or something. Sure. And the runway's like this long though. I don't know how they, la- they landed on it in right. any sense. But there is one last question I have to ask you that I didn't okay. tell you about. Uh-oh. And um, you're going to, I think, maybe struggle with oh, this question. Okay. Or maybe actually, I don't know. Um, but the last question is like, we talk a lot about games on Final Games. Mm-hmm. It's in the title. Um... But the way we play games, I think, especially considering what we just spoke about, is really important. Mm-hmm. Like mobiles and you know consoles and VR and that kind of thing. Sure. But if you were going to a deserted island mm-hmm. and you think about the ways you play, if you can only take one console mm. with you, you can't take PC because you can emulate everything and all that okay. kind of stuff. Okay, so I can't bring like a Retron or something like that or whatever, like a Retro Freak. No, or... because okay. that so doesn't, be like a that real doesn't have its own back catalog. Sure, okay. Yeah, that has other back catalog. Um, but if you could only take one console with you. Sure. Thinking about the back catalog, the controller, yeah. the way you play, what console would you take? Well, uh, the thing that comes to mind immediately is the Wii, the original Wii, because it has a really, really diverse virtual console. It does, yeah. A library of old games on it. So also like, has some gems on that console as well. Well, it does, but I, I would, I mean, I, I was purely thinking more about the fact that I have access to like all these PC Engine games and these arcade games and these Genesis games and these Super. It, it was the one virtual console that really went all out and got titles from all these different platforms and did them well. Like, because, you know, Wii U Virtual Console, like NES games are shit. Like, some games just don't look good emulated, yeah. but like we did it really well and did it best. So, like, Within the bounds of like legality here and like not breaking your rules, I think that's probably the one that would make the most sense for me. If you could only take one that had its own specific back catalog, if I had its own specific back catalog, it definitely would be. Well, I can't say definitely, but it would probably be Super Nintendo. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the most sort of like AAA influential games from my my personal life. It's probably that system. Okay. 
if I think about it too much, I probably will be like, ah, oh, but then again, like, I could get through all those games and then get tired of them and then, like, want to, I would want N64 or something instead. <laughs> I don't know. Or, like, whatever. But, like, I played that too many times or I played this one too many times. And... But, like, think about it. Like, Super Metroid or, like, Star Fox or, like, you know, I mean, Yoshi's Island or, with like. With the classic edition these... coming out just this so year, many... it's yeah. incredible. Like, even just those 21, <laughs> the 20 and the plus one or whatever it is of Star Fox 2, it's just like, wow. That console had incredible games yeah incredible i think bang for your buck like you know for its time that system was unbeatable Mm. but at the same time i think the ps4 is like very ps4 not like ps3 or ps2 or ps1 ps4 reminds me a lot of the super nintendo in terms of like the library is tremendous and there's tons of triple a games on it so like you could i could also i would also be happy with the ps4 there's also the xbox 360 which for a long time. For a while, yeah. But, I, but then when it red rings after like a week on the <laughs> and I'm screwed, so no good. <laughs> well, John, we're going to send you away now with the Super Nintendo then. And <laughs> okay. uh, the eight games that you've chosen today. And the sort of cheats that you've made around the system. But it's fine. <laughs> sure. We'll allow it. So, John, please tell the wonderful people who have listened so far where they can find you on the internet. And also, anything they should be checking out. Anything 8.4 related. Anything that features cute little pixel dogs that comes out tomorrow. <laughs> Well, um, I'm on Twitter at John TV, J O H N T V, and uh, we are on Twitter as Eight Four Play. So you can look us up, uh, listen to our podcast, give it good reviews, whatever. Tell your friends, <laughs> tell your family, tell your pets. Do that after um, you reviewed the show. Yeah, and uh, of course, of course, uh, <laughs> on the way back from putting a five star review on uh, on the Final Games podcast. But um, also, uh, yeah, like like we talked about earlier, Undertale is out tomorrow. So uh, if you haven't played it yet, definitely is a good time to check it out. PS4 and Vita. Um, and I think that's about it. I'm not really much for plugging stuff. If you like, you know, games and you're interested in Japan at all, listen to our podcast. Definitely do. As someone who's listened to A4 for a long time, if you have any interest, especially if you like this show, if you have any interest in Japan or in Japanese games, mm-hmm. and you've never listened to A4, somehow do it. And also check out Undertale because that game rules thank you but thank you so much for listening to this episode of final games as always you can find final games on twitter at final game show you can also email us at final games podcast at gmail.com it's on soundcloud it's on itunes it's on stitcher it's on acast it's on all those wonderful podcast networks and you can find me personally on twitter as well at liam bme and of course until next time goodbye thank you